if I took away what was hidden and took away religion and I took away the system and removed you from the prison would you change? tell me it's like this if I told you all my secrets would you keep them? Or would you leak them to everyone who tried to seek them? Freedom of free will, here we go, we speak it on the real Do whatever he feel, gotta be still, no telling what he gonna reveal We in a dream, oh, you in disbelief still Looking for that magic, make you happy like an e-pill What I gotta do to make a difference in the vision of the moment infinite Adapting to the limits of the physical that I'm living in Swimming in the feminine, Aquarius about to enter in I put the emphasis on what I've never been, the type of energy to go for evident Entity of the confederate, a seventh density, I'm trying to settle in No recollection of the present, it's a memory that we remembering, huh? Start to come too, it's coming back to me More magic than an archonic masterpiece If it's all synthesized like Assassin's Creed Then the answers are inside you, why you asking me? Every second I'm faced with the same old In a daze like a maze, we can change though Entertain me, entertain me if you say so I used to say I'll never change and let the pain grow Every day I'm faced with the same old In a daze like a maze, we can change though Gathering my thoughts so I can chart it through the regions Take a lot of light though, harness and the right flow Spit a perfect circle just to birth another cycle Perpetual, go ahead and check the clock you like to measure through It's internal, I am an interterrestrial Interdimensional, non-linear octave Rocking all this consciousness constant, do you got change? Every second I'm faced with the same old In a daze like a maze, we can change though Entertain me, entertain me if you say so I used to say I'll never change and let the pain grow Every day I'm faced with the same old In a daze like a maze, we can change though Entertain me, entertain me if you say so You'll never change, not until you let the pain go Don't be afraid of the change, man It's necessary Maze overlay Vendetta case Mix, what up? So back in my previous incarnation as a school teacher here in Japan, lo those many years ago, I, uh, as one of my gigs, was teaching at a kindergarten uh, where one day there was the four and five-year-olds uh, were creating little flags because there was going to be a marathon race in the town. It was a big deal. So they were going to stand and cheer the racers on. So they had to color these flags. And it was... I think a free coloring activity it was just basically a square piece of paper or a rectangular piece of paper they could color any way they want. So they're coloring them like four and five year olds would, just making random scribbles and swirls of color. But one of the little girls, obviously naturally talented and careful, was carefully coloring a very beautiful little rainbow pattern, um, very carefully making little sections into different colors, and it looked very nice compared to the random scribbles of the other children. And I, I watched as they were all doing this activity, and then I saw as the girl next to the girl that was doing the nice rainbow pattern looked over and saw 
how beautiful that rainbow pattern looked, and then looked at her own drawing and saw it was just a random mess of scribbles and didn't look very good at all, even a four or five-year-old can see the difference. And I could see the gears turning in this little girl's head as she saw this and obviously was jealous and maybe somewhat ashamed of her own uh, scribbles and how it, the, it was obviously such a better drawing. You could see that she was getting frustrated and angry about this and then of course inevitably she takes one of her crayons and starts scribbling all over the beautiful flag that the other girl was drawing. Um, that moment stuck in my mind as a moment that describes something about human nature or at least the worst part of our human nature which is of course jealousy, greed, uh, our, our wish not just to be as good as someone else but our wish for their thing that they have created to be as as bad, as, as ugly, as messy as ours. Uh, it's not just that we want to be up at someone else's higher level, we want to drag them down to our level. Uh, and that, again, I think is an important thing to understand. It's an important moment because to me, that very amply describes the way that the powers that shouldn't be, the, the psychopathic disgusting criminals that have commandeered the highest levels of power in the world, not just governmental, but financial and corporate and economic in various ways. That is their mindset and mentality. It is not, of course, about creation. It is not about the creation of beautiful things. It is not about lifting people up to a higher level. It is not about aspiring to be at a higher level. It is about trying to bring everyone down. It is easier to destroy than it is to create. It is easier to be jealous and greedy and hate the other person than it is to create something beautiful of your own or to appreciate what you have or to appreciate someone else for the gifts that they have without being jealous and without hatred. So unfortunately, because this is a fundamental part of human psychology, it is all too easy to play on that and to get people hating each other by inciting that moment of scribbling on the flag as it were. And I think that's where we're at. I think it's pretty safe to say that's where we're increasingly at. As as I've talked about before, I posed the question the other day and I left it open. If we are being programmed to hate, then how does that look in the online outrage culture and what are the alternatives? How do we avoid that? So as I record this, it is Tuesday, November 8th, 2016 in the United States. It's currently Wednesday the 9th here in Japan, and the results are still coming in, so I don't know which of the faces of uh, the oligarchy are going to be wearing the mask for the American Empire over the next four to eight years. But I do know this, that whatever happens, there is going to be a divided public that hates the other half of the population and there's going to be a lot of hatred. There's going to be a lot of people pushing those buttons of hatred, and there's going to be a lot of uh, ugly incidents that could occur, but don't have to occur. And that's really my message for you today. The new world order that the psychopathic elite want to create is predicated upon people hating each other, hating those around them, hating those that they disagree with, hating, just hating, with just hatred in your heart, because Hatred fundamentally puts you in a place where you are reacting to what other people are doing rather than acting. It's the little girl realizing that, oh, she's doing something great, I want to destroy it, rather than 
focusing on what you yourself are doing, what you can do to better them, what you can even do to appreciate what other people are doing rather than destroying it. These are some big topics, and I know there's going to be a lot of people who don't want to hear it and who can't understand what I'm saying right now, but I think in the long run, whatever happens today, over the next year, over the next four to eight years, over the next 50 years, whatever happens, there will be something on the other end of these times that we're living through. However crazy they may seem right now, there will be a humanity on the other side. And the question is, what kind of humanity do we want on that other side? Do we want a humanity that functions on hatred and division and hating the other and wanting other people to be destroyed and their creations and works destroyed? Or do we want to lift each other up as a society? And that's up to us. That isn't up to whatever political puppets or financial elite or string pullers. You are not powerless people just at the whim and mercy of these big forces. You are an active person who is actively creating your life. And you can choose to create that from a position of love or you can choose to create that from a position of hate. I know which side I stand on. I stand on the side of love. I hope you'll join me. That's it for this heady edition of The Corbett Report. I'm James Corbett at CorbettReport.com. I hope you'll get join me again very soon. Tonight's subject is living the end. I dare say that everyone here would say yes to the statement of Scripture. With God, all things are possible. I don't think you'd be here if you did not believe in God. And the God to whom all things are possible. But maybe we stop right there and we separate man from God. And my purpose is to show you that we are not two, that we are one. That God actually became man that man may become God. So let us now tonight give you my reasons for my claims. We turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John. And we are told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, that's a mistranslation. The word translated among is the Greek preposition in, within. The word became flesh and dwelt within us, in us. John used the plural us for the nature whereof we consist. That the word of God, which is defined in scripture as the creative power of God and the wisdom of God, did not take upon itself some one person among men. For then that one assumed would have advanced and no more. But Christ to save all did not make this man or that man his habitation, but dwelt in us. That same creative word that created the universe and sustains it dwells in us. Therefore, with God, all things are possible. And therefore, with man, all things are possible. So he states it in one book, Matthew, with God, all things are possible. But in Mark, he states it, all things are possible to him, meaning man, who believes. Can man believe? 
So this creative word is in us. Well, what is this creative word? It's your own wonderful human imagination. That's Christ in man. Man is all imagination. And God is man. And exists in us and we in him. The eternal body of man is the imagination. And that is Christ himself. The divine body, Jesus. We are his members. So when you say, I am, that's he. Now, can you believe that you are now the man that you would like to be, though at the moment of your assumption, reason denies it, and your senses deny it? Only get started. Flip your life. Can you really conceive a scene, a scene which, if true, would imply the fulfillment of your dream. Yes, imagine it. Certainly you could imagine it. But the problem is, would you believe it? Would you believe in the reality of the thing imagined? If I could, this very moment, imagine myself into a state, any state at all, and dwell in it. Well, now, what is dwelling in it? Well, I am dwelling in it. Well, that's Christ. And that is the resurrecting power of the universe. So if I remain in a state, I will resurrect it and objectify it in my world. But I have to select it and enter the state. If the spectator could enter into any of these states in his imagination, approaching the state on the fiery chariot of his contemplative thought, what would it be like if it were true? How would I feel if I were now the man that I would like to be? How would I know that I could become it? Well, I first, as I assume that I am it, let me think of my friends. Those who really would rejoice with me were it true. Let me imagine that I am seeing them in my mind's eye. How do they see me? If what I am assuming is true, they should see me as I am seeing myself. And if they are friends, they should rejoice with me. So let me now assume that I am seeing, reflected on the face of a friend, that which, if I saw it, would imply he sees in me that which I have assumed that I am. Will that work? Try it. I tell you from my own personal experience, it works. As we are told in Corinthians, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to meet the test. Now we are challenged. He said, come test yourself and see. Well, this is how I test myself. If Christ is in me, and all things are possible to Christ, then I must find out who he is. Well, I have found him as my own wonderful human imagination. And because he dwells not only in me, he dwells in us, everything is possible to everyone in the world. And so you help man best by telling him who Christ is. You could give him all the things of the world that he needs. He'll come back for more tomorrow, unless he knows who Christ is. You can give the entire world to any one of us. They'll spend it, waste it, if they don't know who they are. But tell him who he is. And he doesn't need anything more than the knowledge of who he is and the application of that knowledge. For we are the offering power. It doesn't work itself. I can tell you that your imagination is Christ. And maybe you'll believe me. But unless you actually take it to the point of working upon it and operating it, it means nothing. Well, if this night I really believe it, I would not allow the sun to go down in my sleep unless I feel myself right into the situation of the wish fulfilled. It need not a wish for myself, it could be a wish for a friend, 
for everyone in my world because Christ dwells in all and Christ is the true identity of every man, then everyone must be myself pushed out. It can't be another if God is one. Therefore, I tell myself as the seeming other what I would do were I you. And instead of giving him the thing that he needs physically, tell him how to get it for himself. What would you feel like if now you were the man that you want to be? How would you see the world if things were as you desire them to be? Now, this is what I mean by living in the end. Robert Frost, just the year before he departed this fair, he wrote this story for Life magazine. And he said the founding fathers did not believe in the future. What a shock that they did not believe in the future. They believed it in. He said, we are always imagining ahead of our evidence. And the most creative thing in man is to believe a thing in. They had no evidence to support their claim to democracy. They were under a king when they threw the king away and began to simply build a concept of the future. They did not believe that the mere passage of time would bring them that dream. They believed it in. And these men believed implicitly in the word of God. And they believed that if I know what I want when I pray, believe that I have received it and I will. Well, if that precept is true, literally true, to be accepted literally and fulfilled literally, well, then what am I doing not believing? I should actually know exactly what I would like to be and discovering what I would like to be as against what I seem to be, dare to assume that I am it. And my assumption, though false, if persisted in, will harden into fact. That I know from my own experience. And I know it's a law. Therefore, if someone is not becoming the man that they would like to be, and they tell me, but I once imagined it and it didn't work, then what are you doing now and still not imagining it? If imagining creates reality, what are you imagining? For if Christ is the only creative power in the universe, and I identify him with my own imagination, well, then my imagination is creating reality. So what am I imagining? Pick up the morning's paper, and I'm fed with everything I should not feast upon. All the horrors of the world, all the negative states of the world. After having read it for an hour, then I must either regurgitate, or in some strange way rub it out, because... I can't go along through life feeding upon such nonsense. But if I really know what I want, what you want, what we want, and persuade myself that we have it, if my premise is sound, that imagining creates reality, I should, in the not distant future, hear you tell me that it's worked for you, and the other one tells me, and I in turn tell you, and go through life sharing this marvelous news with others. So I say, live as though it were true just as though it were true. That passage of Shakespeare, we have been taught from the primal state that that, that he which is was wished until he were. Here we find it in Caesar. He which is was wished until he were. He wasn't born Caesar, the king. But here was an ambition fulfilled because he was wished into it. He desired it lived in the state, and everything reshuffled itself to conform to that state to which he was faithful. I see it in my immediate circle. Those who you would not think for one moment would ever become prominent, 
but they desire to be prominent. Those who desire to be successful, as they conceive success, no two see success in the same manner. Some see it through the eyes of wealth, others through rising in some profession, others in some other manner. But whatever they conceive it to be, they can realize it. If night after night they sleep in the assumption that they are now what they would like to be. And so we go back that if the word is truly the word that creates the system of the, in which we live, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. By him all things were made, and without him was not anything made that was made. No, not even the so-called unlovely things. For if all things were made, he has to be responsible for the unlovely things as well. So we are told in scripture, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. I create the blessing, I create the curses. But now I must choose life. Choose the lovely things, but don't say there's another creator. For if there's another creator, then we are in conflict. So my own imagination can conjure unlovely things if I dwell upon them, or the lovely things. But they can't be two gods. They can't be two creators. And if I can find that creator and identify him with my own wonderful human imagination, then I can't pass the buck. I can't turn to anything and blame it for the things happening in my life. But I know that many of us are not discriminating, and when we see our own harvest, we don't recognize it. We can conceive that we, in some strange manner, permitted these things to be entertained by us. But we did. It could not have come to pass in any other way. So if I believe it and I accept it, well then, I will live by it. And then when I know what I want for anyone, and this goes for everything in this world, whether now, this very moment, you desire happiness in marriage. You say, but there's no, not one person in my world that's eligible. I know no one. You don't have to know anyone. All you have to do is to decide within yourself what you want. Now, what would you do if it were true? Would you wear a ring on the one finger which would imply that someone placed it there, one that you admire? Well, then, wear it there. Don't wear a physical ring. Put it on just as though he had placed it there. And sleep feeling that which you are feeling as real. Don't say it's all imagination. Certainly it is, because all imagination is Christ. Therefore, it's all reality. So when you say, but that's only my imagination. Well, you're just saying, well, that's only a thing called Christ. When you treat imagination that way. Is there anything in this world that wasn't first imagined? Name one thing or point out one thing in this world for me that is now considered to be real, that wasn't first only imagined. What is now proved was once only imagined. Therefore, this is a true statement. All things were made by him, and he is your own wonderful human imagination. All objective reality is solely produced through imagining. The clothes you wear, the chairs in which you are seated, this in which we are now placed. Everything was once only imagined. Now tonight, find out exactly what you, not what they think you ought to want, what you want. Ask no one's permission. You don't need any man's permission. You don't need your own decision. What do I want? Now what would it be like if it were true? What would I feel like were it true? 
Now catch the mood and try to give that mood all the sensory vividness of reality, all the tones of reality, and then sleep in it, just as though it were true. And then await the inevitable. The inevitable is you're going to resurrect it and objectify it on the screen of space. And then the world will call it real. And they may not believe you. It doesn't really matter. If you tell them it came to pass because you simply imagined it. Now, they'll point to the series of events that led up to it. And they will give credit to the bridge of incident across which you walk towards the fulfillment of that state. And they'll point out some physical thing that was the cause. Now, the cause is invisible, or the cause is God. And God is invisible to mortal eye. Who knows what you're imagining? No one knows. But you can sit down and imagine, and no one can stop you from doing it. But can you give reality to the imagined state? If you do, yes, a bridge of incident will appear in your world. And you'll walk across some series of events leading up to the fulfillment of the imaginal state. But don't give causation to any physical step that you took towards the fulfillment of it. You imagine yourself having a marvelous business. And then comes the day a building is for sale and you haven't a nickel towards it. And a total, not a total stranger, but a man comes in and asks you quite in a friendly manner, are you going to buy it? And knowing you don't have a penny, you say to him, as you would a friend to a friend, with what? And then he says, well, I have money. It's only in the bank drawing nothing. You say, well, I have no collateral. Well, he said, I've watched you. You're an honest person. Your family, they're honest. I think they are. Would you like me to buy it for you? Get my lawyer to bid for it. If they knew that I'm bidding, that I have money, they'll bid me up. And so I get it at the very lowest price by getting a lawyer who represents more than one client, and they do not know who he represents, and he'll bid for it. Are you willing to take it regardless of the price? And you say, yes, I'll take it. But I have no collateral. All I need is your signature, that you will simply pay 6% on whatever the price is, and then reduce that principal over a period of 10 years. Agreed? Yes. But then sign this, and we'll see if we can buy it. That day, you owned the building. And you didn't have one nickel when you owned the building that day. You only had your signature on a piece of paper. At the end of 10 years, you repaid the man his principal. You reduced it every year, paying him 6% on the remaining principal, and reduced the entire thing at the end of 10 years. That man dies 20 years later and leaves you 150000 in cash, tax-free, and a couple of homes and many personal belongings. In the meanwhile, you continue in that business, and it multiplies and multiplies. And that year was 1922, 1924. This is now 1968. That building, I'm speaking factually, that building in 1924 is now gone. He paid only $50,000 for it. It was repaid and repaid. A bank, three years ago, bought the property, because the building was rotted, bought the property for $840,000 in cash and no capital gain. From 50000 to 840000 In the meanwhile, the business has expanded into all the other islands so that today you couldn't buy them out for $15 million all in imagination. 
And this goes back to the imagination that preceded this man's offer to buy the building. For the young man, seeing this building and entertaining a thought that the present owners deceived his father and through deception got him out of a partnership, a junior partnership. And he was moved not to get even, but to prove that he really had something within him and could be a success in spite of their deception. And so every day he would see on that marquee, not their name, but his own family's name. And he would see it in his mind's eye because you could not take their name and transliterate it and make it spell this man's family's name. But he saw it. And in his mind's eye, he saw that name, which if true would imply the family owned it. He did it every day, twice a day for two years. And then came this sudden out of the nowhere. And the whole thing was made possible. And today they're all over the islands and they have no partners. They've never taken in one partner, never sold one bit of stock outside of a family ownership. All by imagination. Now, I know what I'm talking about because I'm a member of that family. I'm speaking of my own family. This is not hearsay. I know it. My second brother, Victor, was the one in whose imagination this whole thing began to bloom. And he still works all by imagination. He knows what he wants, and then after having decided in himself, that's what I want, and that's good for the business, he then in his mind's eye, he appropriates it. And then let things happen. As told us in Scripture, the vision has its own appointed hour. It ripens, it will flower. If it be long, then wait, for it is sure, and it will not be late. Read that in the book of Habakkuk. Here is the true translation of that passage in Habakkuk. So when you know what you want, remain faithful to that assumption. And the assumption, though at the moment, is denied by your senses and denied by reason. If you persist in it, it will harden into fact. Are we not told that God calls a thing that is not seen as though it were seen and then the unseen becomes seen? He calls everything from the unseen into the seen in this simple manner. For he is the resurrecting power. So if I assume that I am, I don't have to have evidence to support it. I assume that I am. I am what? Well, I name it. And having given it a name, given it form, given it definition, remaining in it, I resurrect it. And if it takes a thousand men to aid the birth of that state, a thousand men will play their parts. I don't have to go out and look for them. Any more than my brother had to go out and look for this man. He would not have known where to start looking for one the day of the sale. As far as he is concerned, he had done it in his mind's eye. And he allowed everything to happen. And he comes right in like a joke. He really thought it was a joke. And he said to this man, are you fooling me? He said, no. He said, well, then wait. Let me call my father. He said, lunch. He called him on the wire. He said, Daddy, come on up. Leave everything and come. And then he said, now you tell my father what you told me. My father's name is Joseph. And my father said, you really mean it? He said, yes, Joe. I mean it. I'll have him bid today. You put your signature here and your son Victor put his signature. That's all I need. And that was a lifetime friendship. So when that man died, he didn't 
owe my brother Victor anything. He so loved the friendship and the feeling of, well, decency that he had with my brother Victor. He gave him 150,000 cash. And that was tax-free. And the homes, everything was tax-free. And that building, which he bought for $50,000, was sold three years ago to the Bank of Nova Scotia. They tore it down and built a lovely structure, but they paid our family $840,000 for that building. So here was a gain, and there was no ta capital tax gain. None. That whole thing was simply free. So I know what I'm talking about. All I need from you is the acceptance of it. Will you believe it? Will you believe that with God all things are possible? Will you believe that all things are possible to men? Well, you can prove it in the not distant future. But you are the operant power. It will not work itself. If you dare to assume this very night that you have a better job than you now hold, or that you have a larger income, you may be fired tomorrow. Don't be concerned. On reflection, you'll see it was necessary to move you towards the fulfillment of your assumption. You could be fired. And I wouldn't bat an eye if you told me tomorrow, well, I did what you told me. You know what happened? I was fired. I have seen that. It takes someone to fire you to get you into a better job. I have seen that time and again. I wouldn't go out and quit the job. You may be promoted in the job, or you may be invited by some other concern that is competitive to join them. I do not know how it happens. I only know if you remain faithful to the assumption it's going to happen and you're going to be promoted towards the fulfillment of the state that you have dared to assume that is yours. I could tell you unnumbered stories along this nature. So here I say dwell in the end. The end is where we begin. For if I've seen my name on the marquee, that's the end. I don't wait for the incident to take place in my world to move from one to the other to the other leading up to that. I dwell in the end. If I go to the very end, what would it be like were it true? A health case, not how it's going to become better, but you go to the end and you say to someone who isn't well, and in your mind's eye you say to them, you know, I've never seen you look better, and have them say to you, I've never felt better. Well, now that's confirmation of what you're seeing. You say, I've never seen you look better. And hear them say to you, well, I have never really felt better. But you may say to me, well, I can't hear people. Oh, yes, you can. You can hear anything you want to hear. You don't have to hear it audibly. Listen this very moment. You may not be able to whistle a tune. Maybe you can carry a tune in any manner whatsoever. You can play an instrument. You can whistle. You can sing. Well, can you now imagine that you are hearing the battle hymn of the Republic? Listen, can't you hear it? Can't you augment it? A thousand voices, ten thousand voices. Did you hear it at the funeral of Senator Kennedy? Did you see it on TV? Wasn't that moving? When the organ began to peal, and suddenly that lovely soft voice singing it, and the whole thing became, well, the whole vast TV world was filled with it. I doubt there were very many dry eyes when he got through singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Well, I can sing, I, I can whistle the tune, but I can just sit right now or stand here and listen and hear the entire thing swell. If I try to duplicate it in my, with my voice, I couldn't do it, but I can hear his voice as he sang it. You can hear anyone's voice 
You can hear the speaker's voice. Tonight, alone, you can hear my voice. And you can put upon my voice what you want to hear. And I, unknown to you, I will find myself telling you. Something will happen to confirm what you're hearing. So you can do this for good or ill. I advise you, do it for good. But the choice is yours. You can hurt and you can bless, but don't hurt. Use your imagination always lovingly on behalf of others. But to tell you that you couldn't do it to hurt is stupid because you can hurt. But it's entirely up to you. So you imagine what you want. Believe that you have it and see how it works in the world. Those who scoff at it or at them scoff. Five years from now when you're on the top, they may be working for you. And they've even forgotten that they sat in the same audience with you when you heard and believed and they also heard but they didn't believe. And so you moved on and they remained behind. And that's life. But there's only one creative power in the universe. Scripture names that power as God, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the same power. Because there aren't two gods, there aren't two lords, there's only one. And that one Christ dwells in us. He did not appropriate a single man, as scripture, not, I mean, the priesthoods of the world teach. They tell you of a single man. And the single out of man that differs from all men. He isn't dwelling in this man or that man. His desire was to save humanity. And so he dwells in us, not in that particular man. He didn't become this one man uh, dwelling in one man. No, let no one tell you that the Christ in you differs from the Christ and let them name any man they want. He cannot differ. If there is a Christ, other than that Christ who is crucified within us and who rose and continues to rise in humanity, he's a false Christ. And the teachers who teach of an external, objective, different Christ are false teachers. Christ is within and he rises within. And so you go out and put it to the test. Put it to the extreme test. Christ in us, not out there is the hope of glory. So this word of which I speak, and the word, by the way, its true definition is meaning. In the beginning there was meaning to the whole thing. And that meaning was with God. And God himself was the meaning. There is a purpose, there's a plan behind it all. Waken in us so that we and he are one. So he actually became us that we may become God. It seems incredible, but it's true. That's the purpose of life, to take humanity and lift it to God. So it becomes God. So he became man that man may become God. Now tonight, you need not confine it to yourself. Take a friend without the friend's consent, without the friend's knowledge, and lift him up. Do you know of a friend who is unemployed? Well, then see him gainfully employed. And don't tell him that you may brag tomorrow. Don't boast. Just see him gainfully employed. Here's a friend of mine in L.A. And this man was unmercifully bawled out by his superiors and told that he was no earthly good and they are considering letting him go. They're going to fire him. 
Well, the man had no support outside of the job, and he had a family. So he told my friend, well, my friend lives by this law. So he said to him, all right, go your way. Didn't tell him what he was going to do. He sat quietly at his desk and heard the man tell him that they praised him beyond measure for something that he had done. It wasn't 48 hours that the complete reversal of their attitude towards this man in their praise of something he did in the advertising world. But the blow had left its mark. And he said to my friend, yes, they've reversed it, but I don't feel easy on the job. Because they could not have said the unlovely things that they said and forgotten them. So it will come back and I'm going to quit. I have no money. I'm giving them two weeks notice. I'm going to ask them to give me one week of the two that I may get myself together, maybe take off a few days, and just get my thoughts in order. Well, at the end of two weeks, he didn't have a job. My friend, when he told him what he was going to do, my friend knew he could not afford to quit and not work, so he saw him gainfully employed and earning 25% more than the present job. He took off the second week. When he came back at the end of the first week, he came into my friend's office and said, only yesterday. I got the offer and I start Monday. I do not lose one day's salary and I start at 25% more than I received on the past job. What did it? My friend's imagination. A loving use of the imagination on behalf of a friend. Had he gone without that imaginal state, he would have walked into the place and the man would have said, we have nothing. Or we can't use you. Why are you quitting? He didn't ask anything. He simply wanted the man. So if you precede your visit by an imaginal act, they will see you as you see yourself. If you walk in knowing that you're no good, they're going to see you exactly that way. But if you're walking in the assumption that things are as you desire them to be, they're going to see you that way. And this is life. Now what greater claim can anyone make than to claim that he is God? And when he claimed it, they said he is blaspheming. For here is a man and the man dares to claim he is God. The tenth of John. And he said, is it not written in your law, I say ye gods, sons of the Most High? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, do you say of the one that he anointed and sent into the world that he is blaspheming? Do you know of any greater claim in the world than for a man to identify himself with God and walk as though he were? And not be ashamed to admit it? He doesn't go bragging about it, but he knows in his heart he is one with God. For if his imagination is God and he imagines, well, then that's God. And if he imagines a state and it comes to pass, then he knows the creative power that is God. He doesn't have to brag about it and boast about it, but he doesn't have to hide it either. He doesn't have to bury it and be ashamed of it. He sleeps in a noble state because he's one with God. But let everyone take that attitude and the world will change. Not be beaten, but you can take the whole vast world if they feel themselves slaves. Give them the world, they'll want it again tomorrow. And if a man has self-respect, you can give him all the money in the world, and it means nothing. That goes for the individual, it goes for a family, it goes for a race of people, it goes for a nation. Just as our late President Hoover said, the rise and fall of ideas will determine the rise and fall of men, the rise and fall of nations, the rise and fall of communities. So tell me the idea the community entertains about itself. I'll tell you that community. 
But now change that idea of itself and you'll change that community. That a family feel important in itself. It doesn't have to have a background. Who has a background? So you go back far enough and almost everyone who now claims importance would be ashamed of that background. So don't go back, start just where you are. And don't pay anyone to look up your family tree because you're going to pay them to forget it. Just all of a sudden start right now and assume the dignity that is God. That's what your real background is God. And so assume it. And then walk in that assumption. And if you have children, I hope you do. Well then, instill that into the child. Instill it into all within the environment. And have them feel important. I have no background judged by human standards. Are they intellectual, financial, or these things? We made it. But mother instilled in us. When we did something of which she was ashamed, she would say to us, Have you forgotten that you are a goddard? But we didn't know. That must have been very important. Because mother said, Have you forgotten that you are a goddard? Well, I never heard that we ever had any background. But all of a sudden you began to feel that you must be important. So mother instilled it into our mind's eye. She made the name important. So today it is important where we are. In the business sense, in every sense, it's important. But mother did that and she married a man who had no background and took his name. But she made it important. All right? Who has any background? As far as I'm concerned, I refuse to accept the aristocracy of any being in this world other than the aristocracy of the spirit. What other aristocracy? Give me the aristocracy of the spirit, but don't come to me with any physical descent. I'm not an animal. I'm not a horse, but you develop it by one horse after the other. I'm God. We're all God. And you can't go back beyond God. So if that's the start of all of us, well, then that is our root. And so claim it now. At any point in time, claim it. And you'll find yourself being washed clean of anything you might have thought the family tree held. You don't have any family tree. The true Israelite is not a descendant after the flesh but the elect of God, of whatever nation. That's the man of God. So you simply dare to assume that you are that man of God. And then apply what I'm telling you tonight. And may I tell you, in the not distant future, in the immediate present, it'll work. If you don't falter and do not change the assumption, if you remain faithful to the assumption, it will harden into fact. Because imagining creates reality. It does. Now let us go into the silence. Now, are there any questions, please? My dear, there's a man in this state today by the name of Krishnamurti. He was a member of the Theosophical Society when Annie Besant and Alcott and that entire crowd ran it. That book is still in print. They brought out a book without his consent. They tried to make him a Christ. The reincarnation of Jesus Christ. He didn't deny it. He didn't go against it. He allowed it. And that book came out. And they are literally hundreds of full-page pictures of his so-called reincarnations of the past. One the male, female, male, female, Chinese, Indian, Oriental, uh, 
Caucasian, all these. I don't think they included the Negro. They hadn't quite integrated them in this setup. And here he went all the way back, but not into the Negro. He was some, something different. Then when he got big enough and courageous enough to deny it, he denied it. But they're printed those books, and they're still in the library, and they're still in the homes of individuals, and now he will go from the world as their part of this world, and those who will come tomorrow will not know it was refuted, and go along and believe it. I tell you, my dear, stick to the Bible. All these are simply theories, man-made theories for one purpose, to make a buck. It's cruel to say that, but I cannot let it go by. Ninety-nine percent of them are in it only for a dollar. Seems cruel, but I'm telling you what I know. I've gone through these many isms. It has nothing to do with spirituality. You are individualized, and you tend forever towards greater and greater individualization. You will never lose your identity. You will awaken one day, and you are the Lord Jesus Christ himself, without loss of identity. That's the great mystery. I will know you. And when you awaken, and you're born from above, and you behold the fatherhood of God, and you being the father, I will know you. You will not lose your identity, and yet I will know you to be God. I will know you to be Jesus, and I'll know you as you are now. And it will not seem strange to you that you are Jesus. You will not bow your head in shame, and yet you will not lose your identity. I have had these uh, men and women too, who make these claims. You can induce it. You can actually induce it by an assumption. I'll give you my own personal experience of the crucifixion, and it's so unlike what the world teaches. I have experienced scripture. Scripture has been fulfilled in me. I found myself this night in the fulfillment of the 42nd Psalm, which is, and he went with them in a throng to the house of God. He led them in a gay procession to the house of God. Well, here I am in this enormous crowd, all like the Arab world. And as I'm walking with them, a voice out of the blue sings out. And the voice stated, and God walks with them. A woman at my right asked the invisible voice, and if God walks with us, where is he? And the voice answered, and all heard the voice. And the voice said, at your side. She turned to her left, looked me full in the face, and began to laugh. And she said to the voice, you mean Neville is God? And the voice answered, yes, in the act of waking. Then the voice spoke, but from within me. No one but the speaker heard it then. And the voice said within me, I laid myself down within you to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed the dream. I dreamed, and I knew exactly what the end of that sentence would be. He is dreaming that is I. With that, I became so emotionally thrilled, I felt myself drawn into this body that was on the bed. For this took place in the spirit world. 
I felt myself drawn into this body, and this hand was a vortex, this hand was a vortex, my head a vortex, my feet vortices, and my side, the right side a vortex. And I knew then what the crucifixion was. It was sheer ecstasy. It wasn't painful at all. You can't describe the thrill of these six vortices nailing me to this body. So you're told in the 10th of John, no one takes away my life. I lay down myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to lift it up again. And in spite of that statement, they teach year after year that a group of men murdered him and nailed him to a wooden cross. He is not nailed to any wooden cross. The universal Christ is nailed on humanity. This is the cross. And he did it willingly. I lay it down myself. No one took it from me. And I experienced that that night. So you can bring all the arguments in the world about this little stigmata. That's no stigmata. There was no blood running well. The whole hand, both hands, whirling vortices. And the head of whirling vortex. And the side of whirling vortex. And both feet, the soles of my feet, vortices. And they are six. Yes, sir. Judas, I am self-betrayed. No one knows me but myself. No one knows the thoughts of a man but the spirit of man who dwells in him. Likewise, no one knows the thoughts of God but the spirit of God. Therefore, if I betrayed God, I would have to be the spirit of God. One who has the secret. And so it's self-betrayed. One night in a room about the size of this, and here I am, sitting on the floor, with twelve men before me sitting on the floor. We're all dressed in robes, and I'm teaching the word of God. A man, one of these twelve, jumps up quickly, and the moment he jumped up, I knew exactly what he was going to do. He was going to tell the authorities what I was teaching. He went through the only door. As he went through, and I knew what would happen, a tall, handsome man, about six feet four, in most costly robes, came in, erect, a man of 40, 44. He walked straight down the side, turned at right angles, walked straight down the side, turned at right angles, and walked down the middle. But as he entered, he was one of such authority, we all rose. He was one of tremendous authority in that community. And we all stood at attention. I facing my 11 now. He came on down, and he turned towards me. And he took a wooden mallet, and a wooden peg, and he hammered it into my right shoulder blow after blow into my shoulder. Then he took a very sharp instrument and with one circular motion like this he severed my sleeve and then pulled it and pulled off the sleeve and discarded it. And I saw it a lovely shade of light baby blue. Then he stretched his arms out this way and he embraced me and kissed me on the right side of my neck. And I kissed him on the right side of his neck. And as I kissed him still embracing him the whole scene here is the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's all symbolism, but the whole thing is true. That was the betrayal. For you are now nailed. The pay goes in, as you are told, I will now put upon you all the authority of Israel and you'll rule it for a season. Then I will break the page, and that weight that you carry will be taken from you. 
But who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He unveils the right arm, which is the symbol of power. At that moment in time when he rises in you, and you are going to rule as he rules. And that's the story. So the whole story is true, but it's all vision. It's not secular history. It's salvation history. And the world treats the whole Bible as secular history. And it's not secular history at all. The whole thing takes place above. He said, I am from above and you are from below. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. And so the whole drama is unfolding above. It's a mystical drama. Any other questions, please? Well, freedom is that age. No one is free by dying here. Because death here is restoration in a world just like this. No one, I don't care who you are, you could be 90 years old now, and if you drop this very moment, you're restored to life, not as an infant, someone about 20 years of age. And you're not old, you're young, and any missing part, teeth, hair, limbs, all restored unbelievably new and unaccountably new. You can't account for it. How can someone cremated turn to dust and stand before me 20 years old and when they dropped they looked like a thousand they were so old and withered. And here suddenly before me stands this beautiful island woman or man 20 years old in a world terrestrial just like this in a body that is physical just like this cut it it will bleed and they age there as they age here, and they die there as they die here. And so there's no escape from this until resurrection. And resurrection comes to the individual. It doesn't come collectively. It comes while we walk in this earth. The individual is raised and set free from this bondage to decay and becomes then one with the risen Lord. Because there's only one body, one spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. continues to grow continues to grow he is the God of the living not the God of the dead this world is the world of dead people won't believe it everything here is dead if you see it from above well you have to see it to understand what I'm talking about if you see this from above everything here is like well something that is dead and you can come down you can't change it from above strangely enough I have tried to change it from above. Look at the body, it's on the bed, and it looks like something like a carcass that is dead. Well, if you know exactly the wisdom is from above, if you can only do with it now, while you're there, with a clarity of vision, but you can't do it. You've got to come down and occupy it. And then you forget. This is the world of death. Yes, sir. Pardon me? Animals? I only know this much. One night I found myself at the top of a very tall ladder. And below me, I would say the forest. The beast of the forest, like tigers, lions, jaguars, all the wild beasts of the forest. And they were angry. And I was afraid. I stood on the very top rung, and I was really concerned for my safety. They were angry looking, and moving with all the anger of the world. Then it dawned upon me, but that's myself made visible. That is the creative power, enormous power in me. I arrested the activity in me, not in them, and they all stood still. They were frozen as though they were made of clay. 
I came down the ladder and they were dead. Their life was in me. I came upon a scene, a simple little scene, and the scene was just like a Sunday afternoon dinner. And they were dining. And the minute I saw them dining, I knew that if I could arrest the activity which I was feeling within me, that these people would go still. They'd all be still. But I had no sooner entertained the thought than I did. I froze my head. As I did so, here was a, a foursome, two young fellows, about 21, 23 years old, and their parents in their middle 40s. And one fellow face, facing me was having soup, and he had just brought the soup uh, spoon this far. When I froze the activity in my head, he couldn't move it. The waitress coming through the door with a second course, she stopped in her tracks. Everything stopped. A bird flying flew not. The grass waving waved not. Leaves falling fell not. Everything froze. And when I released the activity in me, all things continued in their course. The bird that was, a fro that was frozen and arrested continued. Now, if I froze that bird right now, and he's in flight, would he not fall? If a bird is now still, it can't remain in the air and be still. It has to be in motion to remain in the air. Well, it was not in motion and it didn't fall. Everything froze and the leaves could not fall. And the waitress walking with that second course couldn't walk. And the boy, young father, 21, 22, he couldn't continue the action. And when I released that activity in my head, then he continued the action and took the soup. And she continued to bring the thing. And I saw that when I woke from that state, everything changed in my world. That everything here is dead. And we are the animating power. Without man, everything will be dead. Nature will be dead. For God is in man. And were it not that that living word is in man, everything here would be dead. And you take that power to rest it, and everything is stand still. For the world is yourself pushed out. Well, the time is up until the next. Yesterday gave birth to me And I live like every day is the first for me If I die, just listen to this I'll be living through the words and every verse that you heard from me I philosophize I have a theory on metaphysics that haunts my mind Let me try to explain See, my being is being contained So what you're seeing isn't me, it's just something my being be in See, I'm really the soul that my body keeps in The energy that you only feel when I'm speaking Physical features are just features My mouth is no different than speakers My eyes are like cameras Ears are like microphones And it gets deeper See, what if when you die You're really waking up And what you thought was your life is a dream And you made it up I think about the power of the human brain Mother nature made birds And we made planes Fish have gills We made scuba gear The future's near Just think about what we doing here What's the definition of a God? Creator, omnipotent power that sees all We capable of all three, I mean really though With one click of a button, I could see any hope With one click of a button, I could learn anything If knowledge is power, then why am I already king? I dedicate this to the smart niggas And loved ones that aren't with us Smoke 
It's like I'm living in a dream When I'm awake it's like I'm slipping in between What I perceive is my reality And different vivid schemes that I conceive When I meditate with this weed And sit and picture obscene shit like What if aliens are humans from the future That discover time travel through nuclear transducers And use them to go back to the past To redo us, abuse them and get greedy and screw us And here we are what if they're playing with us like Sims games? It's insane what I could think of in this brain. DMT is to blame. Once you see the truth, you never see it the same. And what if reincarnation is real and we go to war and our whole entire nation is killed and we come back and we reincarnate in the cells that our next generation kills with all expelled? Thank Urban Shaman, burning herbal chronics for eternal knowledge beyond anything you would learn in college. It's like the perfect diamond shining, shedding light into a person's conscience. They trust in us because our word is honest. My verbal leave a nerd astonished. We prefer melodics, harmonizing verses for the earth and every person on it. If everyone died at the same time, the afterlife will be earth for a second try. What if we evolved like game graphics? Imagine pixels exploding when Big Bang happened. Early man was Atari, we currently PS3. So we evolve in the same patterns. Uh, your brain's magic, and anything you plug in your subconscious just may happen. Like great rapping. I decided at a very young age I want to be on J status. And I may pass it. If you don't think that you're great, then you'll remain average. The shaman. the galaxy. This is where conspiracy on the wild side meets the perspective of a lifetime. This is the Free Zone with your host, Freeman. Hello, you wonderful friends, and welcome to the Free Zone. Well, the rejection election is nearly done. We can only say nearly because we still have time to wait till things can be set into place. But it seemed to me that 11-9 we entered a parallel dimension. <laughs> I didn't see this coming. I don't think anybody saw this coming. And it really showed the split between the alternative world and the mainstream world with this last election and, and the things that have ensued. But it, to get into, you know, facing off the child trafficking pedophilic witch and accepting the uh, hateful xenophobe... <laughs> uh, People are acting like they want or lose, lost here. And looking at this alternate dimension that we seem to have entered, I could think of no one better to dabble in this realms than Anthony Patch and Richie from Boston. So I've invited them here tonight to join with me in the discussion of our future, lessons from our history, and lessons for our history as we look at what we're doing today and how that will reflect on the future of tomorrow. So please welcome Anthony Patch and Richie from Boston. Great to have you guys. I'm happy to be a Freeman. Longtime fan. I've been listening to you since before the internet. So I'm glad Fantastic. to be here, brother. Yeah, likewise here. Thank you very much. It's very gracious of you to invite us on the show today. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to talk to both of you because we do seem to be uh, on the same tip and... Really, you guys are really doing a number on your podcast, and and I see that your your numbers are rising incredibly. You're you're really hitting the nails on the head left and right, and I love that you don't just sit back and and 
look at the political spectrum, you take in the whole spectrum of where are we going with all of this. And as we get through this show, I mean, we're going to begin with rapist versus rapist and talk about some of the election finales going on and then lead this into uh, what is progress and where we are going, what the they want. You know, we're constantly saying, well, they will want this and they will want that. Well, who are they and what do they want? And I know we can't answer that question specifically. But I believe that if we look at the technological advancements of society and how civilization is forming, we can get a pretty good picture of what they want. So, guys, everyone was shocked, (laughs) myself included, as Donald Trump walked out for his concession speech. I waited till 3 a.m. to see Hillary's concession speech. Did I say concession for Donald? (laughs) It may happen. And we're going to talk about the the December 19th uh, Electoral College uh, faithless electors. But for me, that moment where Donald Trump actually won, although I do wonder what Alex Jones is going to do for a job now. It was like 11-9, you know, the reverse of 9-11. It was just a freaky moment that, oh, my God. I mean, I was giggling as I watched the dumbfounded newscasters and the astounded Hillary supporters. I, I couldn't help but giggle at all of this. And I really didn't see things going this way. So I guess I'm opening up a, a, a random look into what just happened and we're going to just kind of lay out what still could happen so as a beginning thought I noticed the the sheer split between those people in the mainstream and those in the alternative understanding we all thought Trump had it in the bag. I mean, I mean, I I didn't vote for anyone. I don't care. They not. I mean, out of the millions, hundreds of millions of people in America, these are the last two people I would have picked. Now, this one will be a good one for you, Anthony Patch. Uh, the idea that this whole thing was projected into the scene uh, by the Simpsons, as we saw the exact scenarios of them coming down the escalator, <laughs> Trump in front of the flags, and then even the map of the Electoral College was nearly exact in The Simpsons. And we're looking at what could be a parallel universe, and we're looking at this idea that, man, are they time traveling and making this stuff up? <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> Go ahead, jump in, guys, wherever you want. Maybe it's a reverse Mandela effect, the, the Simpsons. Maybe they're predicting the future using the Mandela effect in reverse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the <laughs> that's the levels we're going to get to, folks, as we get deeper into this show. Um, but to, it's to a psyops. It, it's a psyops. It's a psychological operation. That's the drum that Richie and I have been beating for the last couple of weeks. This is all predictive. It's predictive programming. We know that, but it's scripted, and it's scripted according to history. And the history we're going to touch on today is going back to Saul Alinsky and Bill Ayers and Rules for Radicals and the 60s and where the roots of this whole evolutionary process, if you want, but more accurately, a scripted process, has brought us to this point today. To understand today, we have to look at history. 
Yes, that's why I tried to get this out of my mouth, saying we have lessons from history, but then we have lessons for history. The things that we are projecting into the mythos of the future, where a UN-controlled world can look back at liberty and say, look, it just leads to corruption. You need our control. That's a lesson for history that we are creating. I really did not think... Okay, I expected Miley Cyrus acting and crying on YouTube about Hillary losing, but I did not expect bloody violence in the streets from the Hillary supporters. I I, I kind of expected it from Trump supporters who thought they you know had the rigged election stolen, but I didn't. I swear to you, I just didn't see this happening from the liberal love haters that are out there just beating the shit out of people. Richie, see, take we, it from there. We saw it the exact opposite way. It appeared, I mean, Trump just kept continuing to call out the fact that this was rigged, this was rigged. So everybody was keeping their eye on the polls, keeping their eyes on the machines, looking to George Soros because he had his hand in the, the diebold voting machines, all that stuff. And then about a day or two, a day or two before the election, Anthony and I, we had been talking about Saul Linsky, Rules for Radicals, Hillary's 1969 thesis, two Saul Alinsky. And I thought, you know, we, we thought to ourselves, if they truly want to continue what they've been doing all year long, which is pitting blacks against whites, Christians against Muslims, police officers against citizens, vice versa. I said the best thing for them to do is let Hillary lose because her people will burn this down. And Anthony actually said, burn, baby, burn. And no one listened. No one believed us. No, everyone thought Hillary had this no problem. I mean, it's her machine. It's her whole thing. And there's even another twist in this. But we won't get to that right yet. But yeah, it's exactly what did happen. And it's amazing. We called out these protests before they happened. And wow, they won't go away. They've been going on for days now. And people are actually starting to get shot now. It's escalating. Right. Yeah, and the other thing, real quickly, and I'll let you take it from there, is that um, we also called out this so-called counter coup, the soft coup from the 16 units of the intelligence community with Steve Pachenik as the mouthpiece. We called that one out as an overt psyops, but that was an easy one because of his background. But go ahead. I won't dominate the conversation. No, please uh, feel free to take up you know, as much space as you want, because that's a very important point. That, that whole uh, video came up saying that there was a silent coup and that we're going to make sure there's a safe transition of power, but they didn't say power to who and this whole situation didn't uh, bubble into the mainstream at all it was only in the alternative media that we were aware of the nsa cia's silent coup of hillary so uh, do you have any more to go on that yeah i mean look at what's going on in the streets as proof that this supposed in quotations counter coup was active that it actually took place, that it was something that was a red flag. More appropriately, the red cape waved in front of the bull in terms of Hillary's camp and her supporters. Waving that red cape in front of the bull and getting the bull to charge, that's what that counter coup was. There was no counter coup, but simply saying that there was, and then Trump winning you put two and two together as Hillary's camp has fomented to their people through the DNC. And now you have the raging bulls in the streets right now because they believe there was a coup that stole the election from the DNC. 
Now, what I found most intriguing about that was that they said they were they they had planned the WikiLeaks to be part of this counter coup. So therefore, they already had foreknowledge of everything that was going to come out, obviously, or they wouldn't have been able to plan this counter coup. Go ahead, Richie. Talk about the other Julian thing, Assange. Freeman Freeman's been on. He's been online since before anybody. I can attest to that. You're more than familiar that if you touch a nerve or if you, for, for instance, while Hillary's running for president, if you put up a video that exposes anything about Hillary, Google and YouTube simply hold it down. It doesn't go anywhere. Now, the fact that this guy came out, first of all, you're going to try to pull off a coup or a counter coup against the U.S. intelligence services. But before you do it, you go on YouTube and tell everybody that's an enormous red flag. And second of all, the videos went absolutely viral, which makes no sense because if his words were ringing true, YouTube and Google would have just held it down. No, it would never have seen the light of day. And he was a tiny YouTube channel and it went, it went mega viral, viral. You know what I mean? So we saw that yeah, one so a mile away. This, this it was a construct. Yeah, it served its purpose as a construct of the Intel community itself to put this out, and therefore they did not intercede and pull it down through their agents, which are Google and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the fa those are the public persona of the Intel agencies themselves. Their seed money, their germination, <clears throat> their ideology of these organizations, Google, Facebook, et cetera, are from DARPA, are from the intelligence communities. Just like when we talk about D-Wave Corporation and their quantum computers, that's a, D, that's a DARPA project that um, was the founding of that, the $10 million seed money they got. Anyway, the point is here, Julian Assange was claimed by, was cited and claimed by Stephen Pachenik in this counter coup as working with them, that supposedly WikiLeaks was putting information out for the purpose of this coup. Well, Ju Julian Assange came right out the next day after Richie and I called this as a psyops and said WikiLeaks has nothing to do with this counter coup yeah I believe that you know flip everything on its head and we always have to look at everything four or five different ways before making a decision and we can see clearly that we've they've developed such a reactionary public out there that crimes that have been going on en masse forever are only reacted to at the moment that the mainstream wishes them to react to it. A couple right. of examples being, I was at, well, I witnessed, I, 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 for me, the, the first moment that I realized the power of the internet was the WTO protest back in Seattle in 95 when Indie Media was presenting the entire scenario over their website. And this was fabulous. This was amazing to me. I knew more of what was going on at that protest than anyone else. I could see the complete psyop unfold before my very eyes. And I know more about what happened there than the people that were there. As a, <laughs> yeah, it's true. And yeah. As, as, yeah. An, uh, as a protest to all of this. Now, I thought Seattle WTO protests should have been our generation's Kent State, but because of the way the press put these things out, they made it all the fault of, of these, you know, angry, violent protesters and, and, you know, no discussion of the International Monetary Fund or the World Trade Organization. So the next year they had it in D.C. Now, I showed up for that one. 
I stood before those riot squads. I screamed at them for being Freemasons, and they all looked at me. And then I watched them haul away 600 people for parading without a permit. And this entire time, there were 500,000 people in the streets of Washington, D.C., and I was covering everything, and there was not a lick of violence anywhere. But as I left the protest and traveled up the East Coast, I saw newspaper after newspaper showing nothing but violence, violence, violence. While I was sitting in a restaurant having lunch during the protest, they were showing violence uh, at the protest. And there was none. 500,000 people peacefully just really partying in the streets. And, you know, the idea of protest is pretty useless. But the understanding of the media's attention to you know here's the violence and in nothing about the actual reason these 500,000 people gathered there and now we've got kind of the opposite reaction while the Hillaryites are out there killing maiming and beating bludgeoning and looting uh the the press is saying hey it's not that bad and the president's not out there going hey guys uh, stop you know <laughs> so uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Well, that's your that's your first really, really red flag to understand that this was part of their plan. Hillary hasn't come forth once, nor has Obama, to say, hey, guys, it was fair and square. Let it lie. And it's quite the opposite. Instead, they're actually petitioning and spreading the word that Hillary could still be installed as president due to the popular vote. And they're and they're ramping it up. They're telling people not to stop fighting. Don't let go. This isn't over. And they're listening. And they're also all the protesters are supplemented by the George Soros Foundation. You know what I mean? The buses have all been videotaped coming in lines and lines of them. And again, like you just said, the media is doing the exact opposite this time. They're playing it down like it's just a few kids out there exercising their First Amendment right. Nothing to see here, folks. No big deal. Children being let out of school. It's uh... un unprecedented it's unprecedented we were talking about that the other night school teachers professors are all telling the kids urging them you know get out there and protest it's just un we've never seen such a thing and we kind of saw this coming i'm gonna have to say a mile away so december 19th yeah. the electoral college could change the vote and and change who's rioting in the streets you brought up the idea of don't stop fighting let's talk about that in lucifer don't stop fighting in terms of don't get involved in the protests? Well, that would be our opinion. But when we start looking to what Hillary really believes and this cabal that she's with, you know, the CFR and the trilats and uh, and this concept of don't start stop fighting, it goes mm. really back to Saul Alinsky and his dedication right. to Lucifer. And we can see that they're constantly saying, be outraged. Don't stop yes. fighting. There's outrage meters everywhere. That's all Just, we've seen from that's all we've seen from yeah. Clinton and Hillary. I mean, Clinton and Obama is that they've tweeted out, "Don't stop fighting. This isn't over." They're doing the exact opposite. If we were lived in a real society where this wasn't all controlled and contrived, they would do the right thing. Hey, you know, enough is enough. It was fair and square, but they're doing the exact opposite. Anthony. Yeah, let's go back again. I'm going to try to cite history as much as we can. In Hillary's, <clears throat> excuse me, Hillary's own thesis, uh, which Richie took the time to read of about 125 pages, she talks about and cites the central core point of her thesis, reflective of Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky, is the fight 
the fight is more important than the goal. The fight is more important than the result. And almost the first words that came out of Trump's mouth in his acceptance speech, he commended Hillary for being a fighter and that she will continue to fight. I'm paraphrasing, but the theme at the beginning of his speech was all about the fight. So they're looking for trigger points. Various things have already been triggered off that we have cited. We're expecting more trigger points to come that will incite and inflame people. Our purpose is to calm people down, is to bring things to a peaceful resolution, not to inflame, not to excite, not to get overly emotional about this because we really try to take a psychological approach to what's going on because that's how you manipulate and control people is through psychology. Now, if you're going to do that with people, you need to continue to feed them more and more excitement, incitement, more triggers to get them to stay in that emotional thought process, what I call the first brain, the brainstem, literally, our fight-or-flight mode, where our emotions live. That keeps people from thinking critically, which occurs in your cerebrum and your cerebral cortex. They're trying to keep people shifted downward to the first brain, to the brainstem level, by keeping them at an emotional state that continues to be fed so that they don't have an opportunity to stop and pull back and look objectively at how they're being played. This is a game, and they're playing everybody. And now that they've got all the Hillary people already up in arms, which is in turn pissing off normal Americans that are trying to go to work, but they can't drive down the highway because there's protesters. They can't go downtown to the stores because the windows are all broken, so on and so forth. Now that this petition is out, which has almost 4 million signatures, they are saying straight up, right at change.org, change.org, that President uh, on December 19th, the electors of the Electoral College will cast their ballots. If they all vote the way their states voted, Donald Trump will win. However, they can vote for Hillary Clinton if they chose, even in states where it's not allowed. Their vote would still be counted. They would simply pay a small fine, which we can be sure Clinton supporters will be glad to pay. They're literally putting this right out here, and it has serious traction. I did a story on this, this, I think it was this afternoon, and since I've done that, there's been a quarter of a million more people signing this. Their goal is 4.5 million, and they're just about there. They're really going to try to do this. Imagine the Trump people that are all sitting back, they've already won, it's all good, and the rug gets pulled out from under them. We called this before the election just because it seemed like it would be part of the sentient world simulation, the SWS program they've been running since uh, 2007, right, Tony? Right, out of Purdue. That was uh, published in a white paper in 2006, and it's implemented 2007. It's run by the quantum computer system from D-Wave, and we can provide the details on that. Yeah, yeah, please do. I want to learn. Yeah, well, before I get into the weeds on that, just to finish off Richie's thought there, there are 26 states in which um, the members of the Electoral College are required to vote according to the majority vote in their respective states. As Richie said, if they choose to violate that, they pay a fine, but it's also a misdemeanor. Not a big deal, but it can be done. 
Now, Soros has a lot of money. There's nothing to say he's not going to pay these people off. He's going to pay them off behind the scenes. Now, that's the 19th when they vote. The results are not counted until the 6th of January. Okay? So we got to understand the Speaker of the House is the one that is going to read all those votes, count those votes on the 6th of January. There's a lot that can happen between now and then. So it's not just the 19th of December. But let's shift gears. We're going into the the, um, sentient world simulation. We're going into technology here. This is a, uh, a system that mirrors the entire population of the planet. It assigns to over 7 billion human beings a node. We are counted as a node in the computer system. This is a quantum computer-driven system. And each of those nodes is given an avatar. And real-time, 24-7, it gathers intel on everyone. So if you think in terms of how big is Big Brother, well, it's here. And we'll talk a little bit about what the capabilities of the quantum computers are. But way back in 2013, and understand the number I'm going to give you is is antiquated. And we can bring it up to current numbers if we have time, if you want to get that far into it. But in 2013, they cited the Model 512 quantum computer built by D-Wave as having the equivalent processing power of over 7 billion human brains. Now, they've made quantum leaps, literally, since then. Now, what is uh, bigger than petabytes and exabytes? Mm. Certainly, they would be pushing, what is it, zettabytes? Probably. Uh. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a better number that you can wrap your head around. They have the equivalent number of qubits in their latest model computer, and this is not public information. They have 65,536 qubits. They've only announced as many as 1,024. They're up at 65,000 plus. That's the equivalent of our human brains. More specifically, within our neurons, we have exactly the same number of what are known as tubulin dimmers within each neuron in our brain. They have matched the number of qubits in the quantum computer to the neurons of the human brain for this sentient, artificially intelligent quantum computer system that is quantum entangled with all their previous model quantum computers. And this is all tied into this artificial construct this digital reality that mirrors our analog reality in real time. This is the beast system spoken of in scripture. Now, this SWS system, they've been doing this since 2007. So we're not just being gamed by a bunch of crafty human beings. We're being played on a quantum level by a computer that's actually been monitoring us for over 10 years, correct? That's right. It started out it started out modeling human behavior, building algorithms of human behavior to predict and then control humans. It takes those algorithms and uses it for deep learning. That's machine learning to be self-taught. So it is learning about how we think, how we behave, how our emotions are triggered, and how we can be controlled. 
Well, we brought up the concept of uh, the video from the silent coup getting way too much attention. And as we know, as, as actual grassroots YouTube producers, it just doesn't escalate that way. It would be nice if that were the case. But and one that really shocked me back in the day when I saw this happen was Zeitgeist. And it got way, way too much attention for being a grassroots type scenario. Now, most people didn't make it all the way to Zeitgeist 3, but after you get to the concepts of this new AI technology with uh, 3D printing reality, uh, when you get to the final episode of Zeitgeist, that is their conclusion, is that humanity cannot be trusted and all power should be given over to the supercomputer to guide us. Now we're sitting in a position where America's in chaos, uh, they could open a second battlefront by bringing Hillary back in, and then you got the Trump supporters out there blowing stuff up. And we have Obama primed for a UN position of possibly being Secretary General and ruler of the world coming out of all of this. So I wanted to take our show as we got through the political spectrums and start looking at what they are after with these technologies that we're looking at, uh, the ideas of having technology that could read your mind and make you the ultimate dictator. Um, now you're talking sentient world simulations that has been running for over or for a decade, and this this is the puzzle that needs to be looked at, not this simple bout that's going on with the the tactics of you know is it hillary is it trump who's going to lead us into prosperity but we uh you guys anthony patch richie from boston myself we are watching future tech we are watching where the actual society and civilization are going with all of this and trying to really discern what they want where what is this all boiling into so you can take any part of that that you want into this idea that we have a sentient world simulation. Now what happens as we go to the future and give over our lives to drones and clones and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Well, I'll give it's a the, very it's succinct the same old story. Yeah, Andy, go ahead. Let me, let me answer real quick and then you can take sure. the long ball. No, <laughs> this is something we talk about all the time, Freeman. And I yeah. know you're more than familiar with it. Face to face is their goal is depopulation and then total control. Anthony. No, it's funny. You know, Richie and I, we work so well together. It, it just cracks me up because I was going to do what you just did. A, a three word statement and then turn it over to you. <laughs> no, you, you, you can. <laughs> Freeman's been on. Freeman was the first person to ever show me the Georgia Guidestone, so much so that I had to go there myself to see them because I just didn't believe such a thing. Those things have been around for a long time. These guys have made their mission clear to those that wanted to actually know. The information that we know is nothing special. You know what I mean? It's all available. Just most people are too busy following their sports teams, watching Miley Cyrus cry, so forth and so on. These people have set it up, and we're seeing the conclusion right here. That's what we've come come up with. Right. But Anthony can answer the technical part, how they plan on actually implementing it all. Yeah, it's very well said, and it's all about control. It's all about reducing the population, as the Georgia Guidestones indicate, to about 500 million people. 
but it's about creating a surf class. It's about reducing us down to serfs because they want that uh, structure that exists with a kingdom. They want a king. They want a dictator for the world with a very small privileged class of globalist elite and the remaining population serving them as serfs to do whatever hand job, you know, handiwork has to be done out there. But all of this propaganda that talks about technology and how wonderful it is, and we're going to solve, you know, all of the world's ills, Alzheimer's, cancer, pick your, you know, domain. That is just to continue the funding for the research that will benefit the, the elite. Anything that is being sold to the public as a wonderful new development in technology these days, and I include the medical technology in this, it's all smoke and mirrors because none of us will have access to it, only the elite. Without a doubt. And we have to start to understand the politics of immortality which honestly, folks, uh, just so you know, that's probably going to be the title of my Free Your Mind lecture this year in April. So uh, it should be an amazing Free Your Mind. I just have to plug it real quick that you guys get out there in April. Check out freeyourmindconference.com, and it will be Michael Tessari and I, and I going head-to-head, <laughs> although he probably doesn't <laughs> even know I'm going to be there. But uh, that should be a good time. I can't wait to see. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, it's it's funny. The people that the people responsible for bringing the D wave out into the light, at least the model quantum computers that we see, are also the people behind the money that's giving exoskeletons to monkeys, as ridiculous as this sounds, and having them training AI robots, and they call them armies of robots. And this isn't conspiracy theory. It's in the scientific papers. These guys are really I'm doing I'm always saying. <laughs> I know you guys, have. I'm not it's just funny up. because what you've always said, we're here. We're here right now. We just saw a computer that's playing us all like a chessboard perfectly, I might include. And it's mm-hmm. not over yet. This election is just like a great big military operation for the most part. I can't even think of any other words for it. Well, look at it this way. You know, it's easy to use the uh, allegory of a chessboard, but it's very fitting. The pawns are pawns. How do the pawns remain pawns? They remain pawns by being cut off from information. They don't know the strategy. They And let me tell you how I play chess. Okay? I use the queen. I use her very offensively. Why? I ask you that, Freeman. Why would I use the queen more than any other piece on the chessboard? She's so frightening. <laughs> She is able to move anywhere, any direction, move freely like no other piece on the board. So who controls the board? Who controls the strategy? It's not the king. It's the queen. Yes, and I I look at that a lot and see that the chessboard itself is the matrix that we are formed into. This idea that we are really born into captivity and we're born onto that chessboard, and there are those that know more than us sitting above the chessboard moving the pieces. Right. And in the in the first time people heard about the, the Purdue papers that from two thousand seven, 
that they found out 10 years after they were already done. They had actually been playing us like a grand chess game on an enormous chessboard so, to where they even already know what we're going to do before they do it. And I think that we're seeing it implemented right now. And people just don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear that Hillary was going to lose. They didn't want to hear there would be pro protests and riots. And they don't want to hear that December 19th is still a thing, quote unquote. Right. And a good example that people can relate to because there's been plenty of coverage was Jade Helm. That was a tabletop exercise. That was a computer model taken out onto the streets and run in real time for everybody to see. The main purpose of that was not so much the movement of the military assets, but to gauge the response of the civilians' human behavior modeling algorithms. And we fed right into that, too. We fed right into that, Anthony. Everybody did. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, so the, how, how, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to mention that the, the mind control is so subtle. If you consider things like when you go to PayPal and the buttons that you have to hit to get your money is continue and submit. Uh, and things like the first message you get on Skype that tells you Big Brother is real. It's quotes from 1984. Or what I personally remember back in Y2K, uh, January 1st, 2000, the AOL poll that popped up asking me if I would accept a national ID card. I remember that. I remember that. So many little pieces being fed into us through this machine. And mm -hmm. the machine's not ours. And we're watching the political structure and, you know, we're fighting over some witch that has spirit cooking rituals. And uh, meanwhile, progress goes on. You know, genetically modified babies are coming about. We have glow-in-the-dark cats, sheeps, and pigs. <laughs> They're, right. uh, you know, I mean, it, it, people aren't paying attention at all. I mean, the European Space Agency just landed on Mars. Did anyone notice? <laughs> it's it's astounding it's absolutely astounding how much goes on and there's only a few of us that are even paying attention and they've taken care of us they've labeled us a long time ago you don't want to be like those people that say things that aren't on tv because we'll label you as a conspiracy theorist well this election just brought every single conspiracy theory out to bear in front of the main populace and they all glossed over it and wrote it off as art. They actually turned the main witch who's following Aleister Crowley's work verbatim, they turned her into the victim. She's just an artist that's using breast milk, feces, sperm, and other things to make, you know what I mean? It's just unbelievable the amount that sheep will take and then they'll bite you if you try to wake them up. It's amazing. Absolutely. I mean, I saw this over and over again. Uh, the triumph episodes where they were making things up for the, the presidential candidates to say, and they all bought into it. I mean, they had Trump talking about having sex with a cow, and these people did not question whether or not that was real. Um, and then what is real? I mean, the Satanic Temple put out a whole post that they were exceptionally sad that Hillary lost. We have Lady Gaga coming out in some Nazi uniform, you know. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. It's unpre it's everything is coming out into the light right now. They're flooding people with information. There's just so much that people are switching off or they're just going out in the streets and breaking windows. 
Well, if you indoctrinate people for 30 years or more into beginning in grade school, which is what Bill Ayers focused on, by the way, uh, he was the founder of the Weatherman Underground and burned and bombed federal and state buildings, including the Capitol building, has never been remorseful for it. People were killed. He shows no remorse. He's the one that I quote when I say burn, baby, burn, because that's what he chanted in the 60s. And so we see all of this playing out because you start with the elementary school system, which is what he focused on, because he knew that if you could influence people for about 30 years, you could instill the Marxist-Leninist mentality as being a palatable system. Look at Bernie Sanders. Look at socialism. That is an overt example of the success of that programming. So it is unbelievable, but at the same time, it is believable what is going on because people have been set up for this. They are the victims. You know, there's a lot of pejorative you know, comments like people are asleep, people are sheep, people are pawns, but understand they're victims. They're victims of what has been put upon them in school and also their families. Their parents are all victims as well. And so the psychological programming that's been going on, that's why I focus on psychology, is because that's how you change people's minds into believing that the loss of freedom is true and valid and is a better form of freedom to lose your freedom. Well, we're seeing it play out right now. And and people have been bombarded. I mean... I never thought I'd I never thought I'd get to the age where I'd say, look at what these kids are doing. But the television shows, the cartoons are all full of Illuminati esque images. Everything the singers are doing has I mean, they're drinking blood all on stage. It's just absolutely unbelievable. Marilyn Manson, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the video he just put out just in time for the elections, where there's a there's someone that appears to be Donald Trump beheaded. I mean, it's basically Donald Trump with no head and a huge pool of blood while he's eating the pages from the Holy Bible. Mm. It's just unbelievable. People are building their own walls, but they're building them around themselves right now. And and they can consider this progress. And this is why they are mad that Hillary didn't win, because (laughs) this type of satanic ritual doesn't play as well under Trump. So if you build up this tension between Group A and Group B, and you look at the numbers as they were coming in election night, in which it's an extremely close race, those numbers obviously are rigged. Thank you, Mr. Trump, saying the system is rigged. Well, guess what? You cannot have an election that is as close as this one was. So equally split, state by state, unless it is a rigged system. Right. So they set it up. They, they, it's turning the screws of tension on people. And that's Appealing. what I'm... Yeah, sorry, go, ahead, Anthony, go, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Th- that's go what ahead. I've been trying to tell people. This isn't just what I think. This is what's happening. We've been... We've pretty much... We've pretty much theorized the entire time and every theory is coming true. This is the only thing that makes sense. These people are out there breaking windows, knocking things down. While the other side is going, ah, let him finish up. It doesn't matter. Donald's still going to be the president. Well, then why do they keep putting this out in the public imagination that December 19th, everything could change? That mm-hmm. would be, I, I believe, 
personally, that would be the unraveling. That would be it. That would that well, would be perfect grounds for martial law because all hell will break loose. And there wasn't However, a single peep from the Hillary camp for a recount or anything. She just was too drunk <laughs> to come out and take her concession speech and instead just phoned in. Uh, you know, or at least that's my opinion. It's <laughs> another red flag, too. Huh. You know what I mean? They didn't. They didn't. Session. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't demand a recount right at the beginning because they already knew what the next step w- that was going to be played. They knew the next card that was going to be thrown down is the Electoral College card. So, again, it's important that we emphasize it's not just the 19th of December. That's when the vote takes place. Right. But the results are not presented to the public until January 6th. So around that time when the Electoral College on the 19th does cast their ballots, people are going to be so ramped up and so twisted in their knots of emotion at that point, they're going to demand that the results be released before January 6th, or they're going to burn even more. So it's a whole scenario of ramping up and ramping up. Let me read a quote very quickly from William Casey former CIA director in 1981. We'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. Okay? CIA director William Casey, 1981. Project Mockingbird. All right. So that's where we're at. People believe the disinformation. The thing about the the 19th, I understand that it won't be released Technically, but we live in the world of WikiLeaks where everything gets out now. <laughs> Good point. It makes me think back to the rumor that the Pope and the Queen of England both told us last year that it would be our last Christmas. That was last year by two two of the political powers on the planet and Obama's war on Christmas. It just makes me think that, you know, they were telling us, and we just didn't understand it. I think this might be the catalyst. I just—that's my opinion. I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm right there with you. We gotta always realize that we need to look at this puzzle globally, and so this type of oppositional defiance that people are doing now with the Hillary loss and the exposés of rape, rape, rape—I mean, good God! Every person involved in this election was a pedophilic rapist or into witchcraft, child trafficking, lesbianism. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't, I didn't mean to throw that in there, but I had Huma Abedin in front of me and her and Hillary's lesbian love affair. <laughs> uh, I have no, no cares about that, but I do care about any injury to another. And if we're talking rape, pedophilia, uh, even witchcraft, but child trafficking and, you know, the, the main, the public just doesn't care. They, they don't care. That, it's astounding. Yeah. Well, they can't react. They're, they're blocked. Again, they're they're conditioned, and so it's like expecting, you know, a twelve-month-old baby to be able to read the Bible. Excuse me, it, it's just not going to happen. It's right. just not comprehensible by people if they're tied to their technology, they're tied to the phones, tied to the computers, tied to the televisions. They can't break out of it. They can't break out of that matrix. I haven't owned a television in seven years. The only time I watch the TV, which I don't have in my house, I have to go to somebody else's house to watch it, like the election results. You know, I had to watch those coverages 
you know, because we're talking about it. Right. But the point is, if you disconnect from that stuff as much as you can, yeah, we're on the computer now, blah, blah, blah. The thing is, if you pull away from it, get yourself freed up from the dependency and certainly the social media. Get yourself unhooked from that. Yeah, it's a great marketing tool for businesses and whatever you want to talk about, but it traps your mind. It locks you in. And it doesn't give you the time to be quiet and to think within your own mind, to have quiet reflection that enables you to do critical analysis and critical thinking and allows you to have that global picture of things, quite literally on the global scale, but also globally just in your own community. Right, and we're, we're also swimming in a sea of Wi-Fi and things that we never used to have. And plus, with the chemtrails they're dumping on us at all times. I mean, that's taking a backseat to all the atrocities that are being unraveled or, un- or revealed to us every day. And people still don't even react. It's amazing. And just a quick note, that petition is now at 3,666,000. Wow. Just saying. That's the petition, folks, to get Hillary into office, to totally thwart the entire election and make Hillary president, which we are seeing is most likely the actions of a sentient world simulation that is causing a global reaction. And this is the what we need to realize of how we present ourselves to the rest of the world. This is something that I've been saying for 18 years, and we have just seen the last 18 years compacted into a single week in this last election. Everything that occurred throughout all the elections of the past all happened on this one. And guys, do you ever hear of other national politics like you hear about American politics? I hear people in Ireland, England, you know, Japan, they're all talking about America's election when we don't hear about what's going on in their, you know, neck of the woods at all. But America is on the has the global eye and this is of course part of the problem that they are setting up so that we appear as Satan to the rest of the world for this mythos of the future, lessons for the future. And so I want to get just some final statements. Uh, Guys, we're going to take this to the super weird on the other half. We're going to get into all of the chemtrails, the ideas of CERN, uh, the Mandela effect, uh, parallel universes, and all kinds of great stuff. So if you're not a member yet, Sign up at freemantv.com. Help me get this thing really going because I want to be at the forefront of this. What is progress? What is our future? And what are the politics of immortality? And you can keep me going. Help support that for 23 cents a day. Go over to freemantv.com. Click subscribe and just pick a payment method and uh, join us here in, in, in getting all the, the bonus materials in the members section with extra hours of everything, extra videos, all kinds of stuff there. Uh, and once again, never an old show. So, uh, you know, sign up so that you can catch the rest of this amazing broadcast. Cause boy, we have just barely scratched the surface, but you guys, I want to get some final thoughts on the idea of us being the Satan to the world, how maybe we could start to, find the psychological effects that could guide us out of the the system of these satanic spirit cookers. Richie, that's a tough you want one. me to go? I know. I'll take tough. I'll I take mean, it. We're talking about changing people's minds instead of their mm-hmm. identity politics, really. It's pretty straightforward. I'm a Christian. Richie's a Christian. 
Holy Spirit, full armor of God, the leading of the Lord. Okay, you got to have the nuts and bolts, you got to have the tools, got to have the armor. The only way to see this clearly, to have true discernment, to be able to see the truth and to see the game and to understand how to deal with it as an individual person is first you got to turn to Jesus Christ. It's the only way you're going to get your mind cleared because it doesn't happen through human effort. We're trapped in this. So my recommendation, I'm not telling anybody how to live their life. I'm just saying this is what I did, okay? I turned to Jesus Christ when I was 16. I'm 63 now. I had another experience, if you will, a few years ago. The point is, if you give up the reins, you give up the control, you give up the ego, and you say, okay, I give up the reins to you, Jesus Christ. I, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I accept you as my Savior. I want the Holy Spirit indwelt within my heart. And that's in a nutshell. You can present it your own way to the Lord. And when you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you will understand how to see things clearly because that supernatural discernment is given to you as a gift that you cannot receive any other way. And from that point forward, you can then begin to see the global picture and you can see the game and you can see the scenarios and you can see if you will, euphemistically, you can see the future. Try it out, folks. What happens when you put your life in God's hands? You see what's happening when you put it into these corrupt, satanic, pedophile child traffickers. You know where this is going. What happens when you put your life in God's hands? Can you have faith enough to believe that you will be guided? Do you have faith enough to wear that armor and stand strong? and stand opposed to all of this mind control that's going on trying to tell you that you should be on stage drinking blood. I stand with you there, Anthony, that there is a spiritual force that we must attain and to know that there is a God in your life, that there is a, a loving force that is there for each and every one of us if we were to turn away from this ego-driven system that is obviously run by a sentient simulation, folks, and turn to ourselves, as he's saying, quiet contemplation, understanding your own global perspective, and feeling that armor of the divine in your soul, that is there to guide you forward. I agree that that is the only way out. Nice. Nice. I agree as well. So that's easy. Fantastic. Well, we've made it just about to the end of this hour, and uh, we're going to be taking this over to the members section. And, oh, boy, I'm not done yet. I'll tell you, though, guys, <laughs> you know, if, if any of this part of this is true, I love the, the story that we're in right now uh, because – as I understand it, there was this moment, and I had no idea that Trump was the candidate that brought the birther thing to light and got Obama to bring out his, his birth certificate, which, of course, folks, was all mind control, was all set up. That birth certificate was not supposed to be believed. Everything's a conspiracy on top of a conspiracy, and it makes it really hard when you're trying to teach these things to people. It's like, no, you got to take it one more layer. You were supposed to know about the birther issue. I predict 
expected it. I had no idea that they that it was Trump and Obama that were having this. And at one moment, Obama was roasting Trump on stage and says, <laughs> now that we set this birther thing to rest, uh, maybe you can move on to more important things like, did we actually land on the moon or what's actually inside of Area 51? And what I learned, what I heard uh, was that that was the moment Trump said, I'm taking this guy. <laughs> right. You're going to make fun of me in front of I mean, you can see the look on his face. I think at that very moment, he be, he became determined to be president. So for me, that that's that's classic. I love it. Uh, this whole thing really, honestly, it makes me giggle a bit. I'm sorry, guys. I, I know I, I have a sense of humor in this situation, but... Uh, to see Good. the dumbfounded faces, to see to see Donald Trump as president. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's just too much to, to take serious. Hey, you have to. You know, if you look at this stuff, whether it's the technology I look at or politics, whatever it is you're digging into, it can be very depressing. If you don't have a balance, a counterbalance, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And God relates to me through humor to balance that out. And I call it the dry British humor, the dry wit, the fast wit British humor, because that's what appeals to me, and he knows that's my trigger. So just an insight for you. you got to laugh at the folly, the pure folly of what is going on. And if it wasn't so sad and wasn't so destructive, it would be the most ridiculous sitcom ever produced. You can't make this stuff up. Oh, you no. can't make this up. We're living in the craziest movie we could have ever thought. The the guy that just got elected president believes in all the same conspiracies that we get laughed at for. He just got elected president, apparently. I mean, we're we're in another dimension. I'm telling you folks, eleven nine, we moved into a parallel universe. That's all I can think. <laughs> oh wow. You know, these guys don't get along. I mean, you mentioned Obama and Trump. Yeah, just because they're in the same group, let's say the elites, the globalists, whatever, doesn't mean they get along. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and Trump's been part of the elites for a lot longer than Obama has. Trump actually, you know, he, he burned his first goat a long time ago when he first got his first several billion and then lost them and then regained them. You know what I mean? Obama was just somebody they... Cloned from Akhenaten. There you go. <laughs> That's why I don't think he's going away. I swear. I'm not going to let that go. Eight years I've been talking about Obama being a clone, and I am not letting that go. Well, it's just it's just too perfect that they call him renegade and how that ties into Akhenaten. And if you split the picture, he looks identical. His wife yeah. looks identical. The two kids look identical. Yeah. They did go to – remember, Osiris was just somebody that no one – you know, he was a, he was a myth till they found his tomb. That's right. And it's funny that the, the Egyptians are the only ones that knew how to preserve the body so that three, four thousand years later, the DNA was still attainable. So right. I'm Proven, with you. folks. They cloned a mummy in 1985. Look it up. Nature Magazine, New York Times. It happened. You know, none of what we say. That's what I love about you guys. Anthony and Richie from Boston, folks. Anthony Patch and Richie from Boston. Uh, is that you guys stick to the facts, and I love that because that's that's me too. I, I even if I'm talking about the president being a clone, that's only because I have all the facts to say. That exactly, that's. exactly. If you look deep enough into anything and start telling people, you sound like you're just talking through your hat. You sound like a conspiracy theorist because that's how they set it up. 
We are living in the most incredible time right now. It's just too bad that evil entities are running everything. Exactly. You know, it's interesting. You you mentioned the cloning. Um, the ultimate goal, not only opening a portal at CERN, to give you a segue here, but is to recreate Nimrod, who was the builder of the Tower of Babel, which is what CERN represents today. Um, they want to resurrect his DNA in the north area, the center point of the main ring of the Large Hadron Collider. Well, there you go, folks. Now you know where we're going in the members section. So definitely get signed up today. Help me help everyone. I'm going to make this thing so much bigger, better, and bolder, and that's all I want to do. I can't stop. It's just too amazing. Guys, will you tell everybody how to find your work and what you're doing? Go ahead, Rich. Uh, AnthonyPatch.com. That's an easy one. Anthony, P-A-T-C-H, Patch.com. And Richie from Boston on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Fantastic. And all you wonderful people that have written me, I swear I'm getting those emails back to you. Uh, it's I need a secretary, honestly. I need a team. I need uh, something to keep this all going. But I want to thank you all for the, the continuing donations that are coming in, the dollars, three dollars, and all of that. That really makes a difference. It really does. So if you feel like tipping me for the show, just go over to Freeman TV, click on Donate. And kick in three bucks. Uh, do that for Anthony and for for Richie from Boston as well. If you kick in three bucks to each of your favorite people once a month, uh, you know that really supports us. That keeps us going, and it shows your love. I mean, it's unfortunate that we have to do it through a monetary system, but that's how we keep going. So thank you all so much for the donations, the subscriptions, and keeping things going. And I have no. I, I own freemantv.com for 10 more years, folks. So <laughs> here we go. It's only going to get stranger, and you're going to be more prepared by listening here because we're looking to the future instead of the identity politics that are running rampant in the streets. And you're going to know where this is all going and why, and you're going to understand more the path of faith that is going to be required of you as we really bring about change. So thank you all for tuning in, and we will see you all next week.
A bleeding mind dream, beating blind steam Give the crime scene shining gleam I'm no longer a boy scout Cause punching myself in the head won't necessarily get that voice out That's something no one ever took the time to point out But I had to learn to whisper before I could enjoy shouting Periodically I feel like I'm wasting my breath And all I've got to show for it is paper stained and ink But I ain't really tripping at the end of the day Cause life is experience and that's how I won the right to think his speech, there'd be an opportunity for me to sharpen my skills by focusing on teaching the audience just one aspect, which unlocks the rest of the history of corruption in public education. I thought it would be challenging to do it in a way such that it enables everyone not only to grasp the concept I'm attempting to articulate, but it also facilitates their ability to learn to grasp these concepts far better than I can at this point by providing the coordinates whereby we can all likewise study the information to which I'm referring and thereby providing everyone with the ability to do likewise and pay it forward to others. This is the only way that humanity is going to be saved. And if there is a God, that mysterious energy works through us, not independent of us. So it's our responsibility to learn to save ourselves and thereby pass the ultimate test in this classroom of the universe.
That being said, it is the fact that I've been inspired by so many brilliant minds that if you can hear me throughout today's lecture, it's only because I'm whispering through a microphone while standing on the shoulders of giants. If it were not for the other human beings who've inspired me to be more human and thus more humane in my thinking and actions, I would probably be off chasing the almighty dollar instead of pursuing and sharing some humble wisdom. If it were not for learned students of this world like Mark Passio, there would not be a Free Your Mind conference this weekend, nor attendees to be addressed. If Jan had not encouraged me to create the Project Constellation lecture in 2006, there would be no podcasts for the past five years leading us up to this point of realization. If it weren't for audience members like Gino Denning stepping up and initiating communication, there would be much less ability on my part to actually articulate my thoughts, let alone ensure that those thoughts made any logical sense to you. And if it were not for independent filmmakers like Paul Verge, there'd be no such concept as a video series known as What You've Been Missing. And the 80,000 people who viewed the first episode might have been left to watch Dancing with the Stars or some such drivel. My point is that without friends and colleagues, this lecture would not have had a reason to be composed. And thus, we here and now and in the future would still be very much left in the dark, unable to construe the world around us and to see it with focus and clarity. I recorded this lecture in MP3 form so that Jan could listen to it as he read the transcript during his flight and prepare for his lecture. And therein re-listening to it, I realized that it'd be likewise empowering to share this information with you, and not just the attendees of the Free Your Mind conference, as I feel that it's the most intelligent and meaningful message that can be conveyed to anyone at this time. And the lecture is crafted to illustrate that which we all need to realize in order to free our minds. To that end, there's a few notes to the lecture I'd like to mention up front, as I realize in listening to it that it loses just a bit of the message in translation, being that this is a PowerPoint presentation with graphics, and what you're hearing is my audio version. If you don't mind the prefacing for purposes of correction before I confuse you in the lecture with the shortcomings of my articulation therein, I'll add a few comments to aid your discovery. Firstly, when I mention Claude Shannon as a polymath, this is not a judgment saying he's good or bad. Rather, it's an observation of his comprehensive intellect. Secondly, the Shannon diagrams are missing from the audio, but Google Images has them if you search. Thirdly, Ram is a Hindu word for God, and Ram, same spelling, is a type of computer memory. I thought that this concept of God and memory was important enough to clarify now as opposed to your being confused at the end of the lecture. Now, if I had more time, I would have included several examples of fallacies, but this being an important topic, which is somewhat complex, that would most likely be included in hour two, if there was one. In the meanwhile, a simple search on the internet for fallacy will yield as much information as you can handle, and if you want less information with more potency, visit triviumeducation.com. Lastly, I'd like to mention that this is a summary introduction to this concept in an attempt to communicate what I feel is the most rewarding lesson which can be learned. So please don't see it as a final result, but rather a first step in a logical, reasonable, and rational direction. If we all learn to take these steps independently, wherein we determine our own choice, the status quo will reflect this. 
In order for the status quo to no longer be diametrically opposed to the needs of human beings for survival, we must all learn to free our own minds of the external control wielded by those who seek to prey on our naivete. I wrote this lecture on April 5th, 2011, which was the 8th anniversary of the day that Lisa and I created Eighth Estate Media and Research, which at the time was our way of taking action upon the realization that the Fourth Estate had failed us all, and that instead of complaining, we should contribute and invest our energy into a worthwhile endeavor. That is how we're here right now. Without 8th State Media, there would have been no 9-11 Synchronicity podcast, which made Tragedy and Hope and Peace Revolution possible. And without these projects, there wouldn't be a community with a thousand people from all over the world working together to think our way forward out of the problems and into understanding the solutions which surround us. Without all of the actions which helped us survive over the past years, there wouldn't be hundreds of hours of educational media which we produced, and it wouldn't be out there for free, enabling countless people to remedy their own situations of their own free will. Without other artists and activists like James Corbett, Maria Heller, and James Evan Pilato, I might not have been inspired to continue producing my art with such consistency and evolution as I learned to integrate what I've learned into the media I create. It's only through working in concert with others that our concert of will can eventually manifest into reality. It's truly a beautiful thing and that's why to celebrate this anniversary I spent all day trying to do my best to help a friend impart a much needed message of wisdom to an audience seeking to free their minds. A lecture which reflects not his opinion or mine, but a message which reflects an example of what human beings can do and the future that we can all create through observing, thinking, and taking constructive and meaningful action. A message which benefits all who can comprehend its contents. This lecture is dedicated to the subscribers of the Tragedy and Hope online community and everyone else who has the ability to hear my words, grasp my meaning, and pay it forward to others. Without our cross-pollination of ideas, the convection current of causality created by our actions, and the inspiration which generated this lecture, such wisdom could never have been condensed into such succinct form. I am truly grateful to all those who helped us progress to this point of awareness, and those who elevated our ability to communicate and share this information with all who seek clarity in their world, and a focus which allows them to make the most of their potential here in it. The keys to unlocking your own mind are the most powerful and precious gift that we can give. With infinite inventory, there is no shortage of it, all of which is produced by our most precious natural resource, our ability to learn. This is episode 23, How to Free Your Mind, The Occulted Keys of Wisdom. Thank you for your support. And thank you for tuning in and not dropping out. Part 1. Why are we here? Literacy is a form of slavery until a systematic form of critical thinking is practiced by the reader. We'll be discussing the relevance of this observation for the remainder of this lesson, and if you don't currently have a systematic form of critical thinking, don't be alarmed, as you'll be provided with your own 
lockpicking set in the form of the Lost Tools of Learning, and from there, you can unlock your own potential at your own pace. If you want to free your mind, you first have to come to understand the process by which words were used to program and control your mind in the first place. Thereby, you will have the ability to rewrite the programming in your own image. That's on an individual level, but what about humanity as a whole? The status quo, or our existing state of affairs, amounts to this. Human actions are in conflict with human needs for survival. The perfect storm of irrationality that we're all experiencing has three major components which create its devastating effect. The first concept is that of censorship or secrecy which is the act of occulting or hiding information. The second is the corruption of education which conveniently leaves you intellectually self-defenseless. The third concept is the absence of compassionate communication which prevents constructive action from taking place. Ending secrecy and revealing the truth does not automatically give people the critical thinking skills and nonviolent communication skills they need. Providing intellectual self-defense does not automatically prevent censorship, nor does it teach one how to communicate. Learning how to communicate does not end secrecy, nor does it provide critical thinking. So in order to free our minds, we must take these three steps and repeat these three steps over and over. Let's begin by defining 13 simple concepts so that we can all start on the same page. The first being the axiom of non-aggression. This is an ethical stance which asserts that aggression is inherently illegitimate. Aggression is defined as the initiation of physical force against persons or property, the threat of such, or fraud upon persons or their property. In contrast to pacifism, the non-aggression principle does not preclude violent self-defense. The principle is a deontological or rule-based ethical stance. Number two, education, which means to bring out, to extract, to produce from a state of occultation. According to Johnson's Dictionary in 1854, education is derived from the Latin verb educo, to lead or draw out. The third term is occult, from the Latin verb occulto, to hide or keep secret. Number four, polymath. A polymath, coming from the Greek meaning having learned much, is a person whose expertise spans a significant number of different subject areas. Number five, autonomy. Autonomy coming from the ancient Greek autonomos from auto, self, plus nomos, law, one who gives oneself their own law. It's a concept found in moral, political, and bioethical philosophy, and within these contexts it refers to the capacity of a rational individual to make an informed, uncoerced decision. Number six, government is derived from the Latin word gubernare, a verb meaning to control, which is combined with the word mente, a Latin noun meaning mind. Government literally means to control the mind. Number seven, cybernetics. The term cybernetics stems from the Greek kybernetes, which means steersman, governor, pilot, or rudder, the same root as government. Cybernetics is a broad field of study which includes equations to control human behavior through the use of language. In other words, if the purpose of government is to control the mind, cybernetics would be the instruction manual on how to control your mind. This will mean a lot more when we get to Norbert Wiener in a few minutes. 
Number eight, conspiracy, from the Latin verb conspire, meaning to conspire. It is the act of occulting information in order to prey on those who have been denied access to the same set of useful information. See also cabal. One might note that the term conspiracy theory did not appear in the Oxford English Dictionary until 1997, one year after the release of the film by the same name. Number nine, terrorism. Government by force or coercion, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. 10. Nescient. A lack of awareness or knowledge as a consequence of never having had the choice or opportunity to be exposed to it. Had they been exposed to awareness or knowledge, it would have been integrated into their thoughts and actions had they only been given the opportunity. Contrasting number 10 with number 11, which is ignorant, it's someone who is aware of the concept or knowledge and yet does not integrate this information and are thus resistant to their own learning by their own choice, choosing not to learn. See also denial. Number 12, liber. The Latin word for book is also the same Latin root word used to articulate the idea of freedom and thus the root word of liberty. Reading books provides a road to cognitive liberty. Number 13, compassionate communication. This is a process of observing without judgment where we process our feelings and identify mutual needs whereby we can then communicate in order to meet the needs of all parties voluntarily and without the use of force or fraud. So if the word government literally means to control the mind, wouldn't learning how to control your own mind negate the opportunity for external government to occur? You see, it's the simple act of asking questions which illustrates the Achilles heel of the control system. You can condition animals, but animals can't ask questions. And when humans ask questions, they can learn their way out of control systems and achieve their own freedom. Government will continue to exist until it is no longer necessary. The absence of government is anarchy, not autonomy. Absence of someone else controlling your mind does not auto-magically give you critical thinking. So it's more logical, reasonable, and rational to learn how to learn anything for ourselves and thereby become autonomous, whereby external mind control, or government, is no longer necessary. Government, to control the mind, is a form of aggression when it is against your consent. When governments occult information, for example with top secrecy, it is a form of aggression as it denies you the opportunity to make informed choices in your life. If 16 million documents were made top secret by our so-called government last year, how could we as citizens possibly expect to be informed as to what reality actually is? When secret societies occult or hide information and use oaths as a method of ensuring that the secrets stay secret, they generate a power differential. If they prevent others from likewise accessing this useful information, does the superclass which runs the world have superpowers? They do. Their superpower is to have access to a systematic method to attain certainty, while at the same time denying you the access to the same liberating tools. 
The purpose of this lesson is to transfer the superpowers of the non-elected rulers to you, whereby you can inspect, validate, and if you so choose, install your own superpowers of learning. And as a consequence, if you so choose, you can likewise empower others with the opportunity to catalyze their own learning potential. It's truly the gift that keeps on giving until someone decided to keep it a secret and assume power to control the rest of our lives without our consent. Without access to the occulted information and the intellectual toolkit to allow you to take actions with certainty, it is a rigged game ensuring consistency, satisfaction, and order for those who occult information and uncertainty, fear, confusion, and chaos for those without access to the information and these tools of learning. As a result, without learning to outgrow our current situation, many of us react emotionally and cannot outthink our reactions, devolving our state of response ability to that of fight or flight, powered by adrenaline. Emotions are not a valid method of attaining knowledge, and we tend to panic instead of responding to the unknown with interest and observation logical thought and informed action to make it known this emotional reaction of fear in the presence of the unknown is the essence of how we as human beings are being controlled by other human beings who are using words who is doing this to us the short answer polymaths who possess rationality without emotion Throughout history, many groups have espoused this obsession to control the lives of others, whether it's the autonists or the eugenicists or the ego worshippers, because they all support controlling you vis-a-vis -vis the censorship and manipulation of information, better known as the concept of the scientific dictatorship. Some examples illustrating the idea of the scientific dictatorship would be the following members of the 20th century intelligentsia. Edward Bernays, quote, The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. This is the logical result of the way in which our democratic society is organized. Vast numbers of human beings must cooperate in this manner if they are to live together as a smoothly functioning society. In almost every act of our daily lives, whether the sphere of politics or business, in our social conduct or ethical thinking, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental processes and social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires which control the public mind. End quote. Edward Bernays, Propaganda, 1928. Number two, Walter Lippmann. Quote, we have learned to call this propaganda. A group of men who can prevent independent access to the event can arrange the news to suit their purpose. In order to conduct a propaganda campaign, there must be some barrier between the public and the event. 
access to the real environment must be limited before anyone can create a pseudo-environment he thinks wise or desirable, end quote. Walter Lippmann, Public Opinion, 1922. Number three, B.F. Skinner, inventor of operant conditioning, quote, Give me a child and I'll shape him into anything, end quote. Number four, Bertrand Russell, quote, Education should aim at destroying free will so that after pupils have left school, they shall be incapable throughout the rest of their lives of thinking or acting otherwise than as their schoolmasters would have wished. End quote. Page 50, The Intended Result of Education, in Russell's book, The Impact of Science on Society, published in 1951. Number 5, Norbert Wiener author of Cybernetics and Human Use of Human Beings. Wiener's work focuses on equations on how to control human behavior and illustrates how to corrupt our natural communication and feedback or learning processes whereby game theory is used to control the masses. Quote, As I've already hinted, one of the directions of work which the realm of ideas of the Macy meetings has suggested concerns the importance of the notion and the technique of communication in the social system. It is certainly true that the social system is like an organization and like the individual that it is bound together by a system of communication and that it has dynamics in which circular processes of a feedback nature play an important part. This is true both in the general fields of anthropology and sociology and more specific in the field of economics and the very important work which we have already mentioned of von Neumann and Morgenstern on the theory of games enters into this range of ideas. On this basis, doctors Gregory Bateson and Margaret Mead have urged me, in view of the intensely pressing nature of the sociological and economic problems of the present age of confusion, to devote a large part of my energies to the discussion of this side of cybernetics, end quote. And if you are unfamiliar with what this quote means, click the link to the Macy Conferences on Wikipedia and learn your way forward after this lesson. This is the whole key. They studied how to control us in public. It's history. We all need to learn this. Last but not least, number six, Aldous Huxley. Quote, a really efficient totalitarian state would be one in which the all-powerful executive of political bosses and their army of managers control a population of slaves who do not have to be coerced because they love their servitude. To make them love it is the task assigned in present-day totalitarian states to ministries of propaganda, newspaper editors, and school teachers. The greatest triumphs of propaganda have been accomplished not by doing something, but by refraining from doing. Great is truth, but still greater, from a practical point of view, is silence about truth. End quote. Aldous Huxley, The Ultimate Revolution, March 20th, 1962, a lecture he gave at Berkeley. Part 2. The Secret of Secret Societies there are many artifacts which illustrate that the craft of masonry is much older than its public eruption in Great Britain during the 1700s. One such document is the Wood Manuscript, circa 1610, 
which contains 32 pages and therein begins by proclaiming that masonry has always been associated with grammar, rhetoric, logic, arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. This is an unmistakable reference to the seven liberal or liberating arts, which are composed of the trivium, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and the quadrivium, arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. These are ancient subjects lost to the Christian world during the Dark Ages and preserved in the Middle East by Arab scholars until the Crusades. Another curious artifact is found as the conclusion to Albert Pike's magnum opus, Morals and Dogma, where on page 861 he proclaims that the royal secret of the sublime prince is found in the understanding of the Pythagorean 534 right angle triangle. The five representing the five senses, which we use to observe. The three representing the trivium, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, which we use to process information. And the four representing the quadrivium, mathematics, geometry, music, and astronomy, through which we can come to quantify the physical world. It is in observing with our five senses that we process this input using the trivium and quantify our reality using number in its many forms via the quadrivium as a measure of understanding. Morals and Dogma also brings to mind the Masonic Credo on its front cover, Ordo Ab Chao, or Order Out of Chaos. Allegedly a metaphor illuminating us as to the source of Masonic power in their ability to create chaos out of which they can maintain control and assert order. Indeed, this is accurate, as learning is the process of establishing order out of chaos, or the method of transmuting chaos into order, using the three steps of the trivium, which we'll get to in the next section of this lesson. The method of transmuting order out of chaos is only quote-unquote evil if it is held by one side and used against the other as this is the consequence of occulting useful tools of learning. By reintroducing these concepts to those who are not in secret societies and thus under no oaths of secrecy, we can effectively dissolve the power which the non-elected rulers use to assert their control over the lives of the masses, one mind at a time, without violating anyone's free will. What's more, the esoteric message of the symbols and words used by the perfectibilists better known as the Illuminati, render even more interesting discoveries related to learning. The symbol of a triangle with an owl inside and a Latin inscription below translates to an epiphany regarding learning. The owl represents a predator who can see in the dark while you cannot, referring to the fact that those in the society can see the occulted information while you cannot. The triangle represents the trinity, or the three-step process of systematic learning. And the quote, per me, kaki vident, translates to, through me, the blind become sighted. It likewise refers to a process of learning, a process which, if not shared equally, can be used as a weapon, giving great power to the few, and used to control the many. If the word light is derived from the Latin word lux, L-U-X, might the process of shedding light be equated to the unocculting of information or 
the learning process of education. Might that which allows us to observe, compare reality to our memory, and learn as a result, be something that people of the past might have worshipped? Might someone at some time in the past have sought to cloak the power of learning by making others, without access to the same tools of learning, think that it's evil or even an adversary, so as to use fear and nescience to prevent others from making meaningful discoveries and sharing knowledge with others outside of a secret society? That might start to account for the reason as to why our most precious natural resource that of the ability for each individual to develop their mental capacity has been most evidently subverted over past centuries. Now that we know that A, there is a method to learning anything, and B, that the method has been occulted and held as the primary secret of secret societies, because if they can prevent you from learning likewise, they have a favorable advantage in power differential or leverage. Since much of the information we need to understand our history has been occulted, it is through the process of reading books whereby we can liberate our minds and exercise our freedom of speech and communication to better progress our understandings through a common language and interaction with others. This is the process by which we as individuals help each other to free our minds. Books are our best resource and knowledge into the history of humanity, and it's our ability to find and filter valuable information and share it with others, which provides hope that all is not lost. All learning begins with an observation, and if our curiosity is healthy and hasn't been poisoned, for instance by the public education system, then our questioning of that observation leads us to learn our way forward by asking substantial questions and finding valid answers. Is there a relationship between the quality of our judgments or decisions and the quality of our lives? If you observe that there is a direct relationship between the quality of our judgments and the quality of our lives, then the question becomes, what is the method by which we can improve the quality of our judgments and decisions? as the inferred consequence would be an improvement in the quality of our lives. If somebody wanted to raise their standard of living at your expense, in the example of Bernie Madoff or any other con man, what might they have to do in order to be in a power position? Simply to undermine your ability to make quality decisions and accurate judgments. And this is done by occulting information, secrets which are protected by oaths, and other forms of coercion that benefit a small group and take advantage of a large group who's not in the know. If the status quo is fueled by our poor judgment and simultaneously the status quo is in direct conflict with human needs for survival, might improving our ability to make quality decisions and accurate judgments not resolve the conflict ongoing? What is the biggest threat to the ruling class? Are they genetically superior, or have they just been provided with the tools to attain a higher level of perspective, thus making them our intellectual superiors through the occulting of information and the corruption of public education? Might the method by which one learns how to learn anything for one's self be the biggest secret? Is the world governed by people who are our intellectual inferiors? 
This question will be addressed throughout this lesson, so then let's ask a question which pertains to why we're all seeking intellectual self-defense. The question is, what creates an opportunity for a con man to take advantage of his prey? It is through the observation that knowledge exists, and the observation that occulting of information by one side creates an imbalance of power. This imbalance provides the opportunity for predators to, to create or secret information. Whether it's a three-card Monty scheme or shell game in a city street or a Ponzi scheme being used to steal trillions of dollars from millions of people, those in the know who seek power through the occulting of information use this gap in knowledge to act as their fulcrum. And the more secrets, the greater their leverage. So the question becomes, how do you know if you're being fooled or if someone's trying to deceive you? Do you ever notice that sometimes honest people are providing information which is dishonest? Not as a function of their attempt to deceive you, but rather because they have not validated that which they are attempting to pass on to you as knowledge. How can we attain higher degrees of certainty by learning how to discern fact from fiction? And why weren't we taught this in school? We could start by defining what is meant by knowledge. It can be said that we live in a symbolic world, and all knowledge is a function of how communities of knowers construe and manipulate symbols. I think it's important to note that knowledge plays an important and critical role in communication, as does logic, the combination of which equates to something called rhetoric, which pertains to the expression of knowledge. And if this process is uncorrupted and remains in integrity with the law of identity, it is said to be factual and true. In other words, it exists in reality. It is through this knowledge or the ability to construe and manipulate symbols that rhetoric is formed. And this is the process by which the polymaths govern the rest of us. And in that realization, in that observation, one might recognize the concepts and characteristics which embody those who govern, as opposed to those who teach. All knowledge starts with observation through the five senses. This is the genesis of thinking as a process of identification to validate the contents which we store as memory. It has been said that judgment without observation is the epitome of ignorance while observation without judgment is the epitome of wisdom. But why is observation without judgment so important? It is because in order to reach a point of decision or judgment, one has to think as a method to get there. And observation is not the end result of judgment, rather it is the starting point for thinking to take place. What is thinking but an ongoing process of achieving accurate identification and the process of inferring these identifications into a body of logically connected knowledge? Thinking is simply the process of asking the questions who, what, when, where, why, and how, and knowing how to find valid answers to those questions whereby you can then make an informed decision or accurate judgment. If your process of observation does not progress through the dialectic or question and answer process of thinking, your judgments reflect nothing other than conditioned responses programmed by your environment. 
And thus, you will not find your life to be satisfactory as the status quo is created to facilitate, progress, and protect the non-elected ruling class, not you. What brings us all to this place of inquiry? Is it because we've all observed contradictions in our perspectives of reality and therein these contradictions have sparked our curiosity and initiated us on a process of thinking? whereby we all seek to learn how to remove our misunderstandings about the world and communicate this newfound understanding to others. The root cause of what makes us aware that something is wrong is that we're comparing and contrasting that which we observe now to that which we've experienced in the past. We can all remember a time when we were availed greater degrees of liberty, and in comparing and contrasting the past to the present, we can sense a decline in our way of life. This comparison or contrast is the basis of the duality of our shared physical reality and without contrast there would be no way to discern one thing from another which is the essence of unity or non-duality. It is a world without definition. Here in the physical world we're all familiar with how corporations define and identify themselves with logos. In the ancient Greek language, the word logos, often translated as word or number, originally meant ratio. The Pythagoreans developed a theory of ratio and proportion as applied to numbers. Early translators rendered this into Latin as ratio, meaning reason, as in rational. Medieval writers used the word proportio, proportion, to indicate ratio and proportionalitas, proportionality, for the equality of ratios. This is substantial because it is innate to the human species that we have the ability to form and use ratios, and thus to be rational. This is the key to what makes us human, our ability to recognize and use letters, thus building words, creating sentences, writing paragraphs, and sharing information beyond our lifetime. Just as one might build an entire city of bricks, there is an entire reality built from the building blocks of letters, words, and language. And we're all aware that all too often in history, words have been used to deceive others and to create invisible prisons to control people and enslave minds. Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl is famous not for his being a survivor, but for the experiences which led him to an observation through which we can all come to understand the essence of what it means to be a human being. Quote, Between stimulus and response, there is a space, and in that space is our freedom. End quote. To choose to think or not to think, to learn or not to learn, those are the questions we should be interested in. As human beings, we implicitly learn in a variety of ways, but we do this inconsistently and without accuracy or precision. It is in the explicit observation of how our natural ability to learn actually works, wherein is found the key to learning anything you want to learn in life. In fact, as we'll learn, there is really only one question we need to be asking, and it is by using this single word that we can unlock our own minds and truly begin to explore reality through a methodology of critical thinking and creative problem solving. That word, by the way, is what? 
and it helps if you put this little squiggly line with a dot below it, thus making it into a question. What is the identity of blank? Question mark. What is the process and purpose of thinking? Thinking is the process of identification. To employ metaphor, if you equate the process of learning to the process of eating, thinking is the part where you carefully identify what is and what is not food, so as not to poison yourself, as eating without thinking could lead you to consume something which is not food. Thinking is a tool of survival and is necessary to human beings who are volitional beings, meaning that there is a space to be filled in, and in that space, we make our choices. What is the process and purpose of thinking? Thinking is the process of identification. It starts when we question our observations and initiates a process by which we learn to answer our own questions. What is identity? It's the result of the process of elimination resulting in a non-contradictory label. If I describe a vehicle with wheels, you might say car. And if I add that it's pulled by a horse, you might say buggy. It is in observing the similarities and the differences that we define a concept, and once defined, we label it. This process of iterating the genera and differentia, or the similarities and the contrasts, allows one to see a concept in focus. Once a concept is clearly defined or labeled, it can then be further identified by asking who, what, where, when, why, and how. We all know these questions as the five W's plus how, questions which should be answered in any quality piece of journalism or academic writing. But in reality, there's only one question, as I mentioned, and it's asked in six different ways, all of which involve the word what. When ascertaining who, it translates as what is the identity of the person involved. When ascertaining what, it translates as what is the identity of the subject, concept, or topic involved. When ascertaining where, this translates as what is the identity of the location or place. When ascertaining when, this translates as what is the identity of the time. When ascertaining why, this translates as what is the identity of the cause. And when ascertaining how, this translates as what is the identity of the means or process. It is in asking the question, what is the identity of blank, that thinking takes place as it is the process of grasping identification. And this is logic. Logic is the art of non-contradictory identification. When contradictory identification occurs, this is irrationality. This is the status quo. So if in asking the question what we find the essence of human communication, and being that we've all been deprived of these methods, it's no wonder that we're all here looking for something. And now we can identify what that is. The concept of proof is the process of deriving a conclusion, step by step, from the directly given evidence of the senses, each step in accordance with the law of identity, which is logic. Once concepts are mutually defined, communication becomes much more efficient 
and effective. It therefore is no wonder why these concepts might be alien to all of us. In taking them away, it debilitates our ability to communicate with each other. Logic is the art of non-contradictory identification, meaning that one thing cannot be another thing at the same time and in the same respect. In essence, any agreed-upon definition therefore acts as a common ground for successful communication to commence. If you are attempting to communicate with someone and cannot agree on common definitions, communication cannot take place. You speak in two different languages. If identities cannot be defined and logic is not present, the conversation is apparently about nothing. If you encounter a failure to communicate, it is likely that there is a contradiction in identification, whereby reaffirming mutual agreement on definitions or identification will most likely remedy the situation. This concept becomes very useful in conflict resolution situations. What we're talking about is the common thread between humans and computers, that being logic. And this is why we can use computers and other electronic instruments to communicate with each other. The way I'm communicating with you right now is identical to how computers communicate with each other. In a technological sense, we all speak in code. And if you have the decoder, in this case, English, you can understand what I'm saying, even if you have to look up a couple words. A code is defined as communication between an encoder, a writer or speaker, that's me, and a decoder, a reader or listener, that's you. And using the agreed-upon symbols, in this case the English alphabet and English dictionary, we can communicate. In 1948, Claude Shannon, an American polymath, published his paper on the mathematical theory of communication, which earned him a place in history as the father of information theory. Shannon's research in how communication works is the foundation principle for the electronic age, as it is used in computers and practically every other type of communication device or electronic gadget known to man. It is in recognizing the input, processing, and output pattern of these communication systems that we can learn how our own process of communication has been undermined. You have an idea, you express it, and the person to whom you're speaking looks as if your message has been lost in translation. If you agree on definitions, i.e. the coded language used to transmit the message, whether English or binary code, the next step would be to identify the source of noise in the message, specifically identifying that which is message and that which is not. This is the logical processing. You're discerning fact from fiction, that which is message and that which is not. Noise in this system diagram might be equated to propaganda in the news media. You have to filter it out. Humans and computers differ insofar as humans sometimes attempt to deceive each other and or communicate information which has not been validated. Both instances create chaos or noise which can dissolve the integrity of the message. A fallacy is an error in our logical thinking process. The word fallacy derives from the Latin filare, to deceive. If somebody is nescient in the myriad of fallacies in existence, their use, if recognized by you, might be construed as innocent. If someone's knowledgeable and is attempting to deceive you by using fallacies, if recognized by you, can be addressed, and you can avoid taking toxic misinformation and filing it in your memory as truth. However, when so much information is held secret and so many fables are therefore circulated as truth, 
it's hard to achieve a clear focus on reality. Thinking is the process of bringing our mind into focus on the subject or concept to be identified. So what would happen if the properties of identification are withheld from you? You become the external enemy in this diagram, the profane public, the exoteric masses who are left blind and in the dark. This is the nature of encryption and cryptography, a type of occulting of information, which Claude Shannon also miraculously elaborated in simplest terms in 1949. Shannon created what is called the communication of secrecy systems method, which occults information, in this diagram the key source, denying someone outside of the secret society the ability to read the messages. This is useful to understand as it is access to this key which enables the rest of us to decrypt our reality. The occulting of information is the encryption of our reality and this will enable you to see some of the understandings related in films like The Matrix. If the world has been pulled over our eyes, then education is the process of getting back to reality. In ancient Hindu, Ram is a word for God. Today in the 21st century it refers to memory. Might these concepts be connected? This diagram illustrates the similarities and differences between you and your computer. And it's titled, Your Computer and You. And I thought that it might help you get more out of this lesson. So let's see. It's likely that we all have a computer. And like we just learned from Claude Shannon, there are three basic steps to making it useful. Input, processing, and output. This cycle, repeated consistently, makes it a useful tool. Your computer, in simplest terms, is a code or operating system which runs on a chip made of sand and stored as memory as polarized rust on a disk. And it might cost you a few thousand dollars. You might connect your computer to the internet, which is an input. You might then have a firewall, virus scan, and spam filter in place before you let your processor get to the processing work and eventually store it to memory where it can be recalled and output to a printer, disk, or sent back out through the internet as communication. And if all these pieces work synergistically, the computer is therefore useful and generates satisfaction and serenity in your life, and if not, it causes frustration and confusion. Now, as likely as it is that you have a computer, it's even more likely that you have a brain. And like we just learned from Claude Shannon, there are three basic steps to making it useful. Input, processing, and output. This cycle, when likewise repeated consistently, makes our mind a useful tool. Your mind, in simplest terms, is the operating system of the brain, which is the most complex organism in the known physical universe and is priceless and irreplaceable. Your body literally can't leave home without it. You might have access to all five of your senses to observe and interact with the environment, and this is your input. You then might have a firewall, an awareness to the observation that predators do exist. You might have a virus scan, which is the awareness to the fact that information lacking integrity can disrupt your ability to think and act. You might also have a spam filter, which is an awareness that some predators use false identities in an attempt to deceive you and take from you. Through the use of logical processing, asking the five W's plus how, these contradictions can be identified, thus allowing you to avoid the confidence scheme 
as it only works if you're intellectually self-defenseless. At this point, you might store this validated information in memory where it can be recalled by you and output by thinking, talking, or doing something. And if all these pieces work synergistically, the mind is useful and generates satisfaction and serenity. And if not, it causes frustration and confusion in our lives. So the question is, given this information, why do we all seem to invest more in our computers than we do in understanding and protecting the workings of our own minds. It seems we've been fooled into misprioritizing what is most precious and sold on a systematic form of undermining our own right of self-determination through some very clever marketing thanks to a few egocentric polymaths. When we fail to exercise our choice and ask these questions, to think or not to think, we become our own oppressors. And this is by design in the status quo. What's more, what happens if we don't have a firewall, virus scan, and spam filter running at all times in our mind? We lose our choice as it is in these three steps wherein we evaluate and assert our decisions. It is in the turning off of our awareness through the false creation or attribution of trust in these so-called authorities whereby we become controlled, literally. For it is in the output where the propaganda and deception enter into our mind and lays without questioning where we store it as factual truth in memory. This is the corruption. Our choice is self-usurped and then our thinking is outsourced to whatever input we are exposed to because we have lost the curiosity to ask the question what and the discipline to ask it in six different ways consistently and thereby we have lost our free will. You are free only when you understand yourself in relationship to your surroundings and this changes as you move through the world. So if you don't have the tools to deal with the unknown in a systematic manner, this would create constant confusion, frustration and fear in your life. However, the common thread which creates the fabric of knowledge is the observation that learning is the path to freedom. And it all starts with asking the question, what? Referring back to the communication systems theory, this is the key to unlocking our own minds, to decrypting our reality, enabling us to take actions which inspire others to do likewise. War has both mental and physical characteristics, and there can be no support for physical warfare if there is not first mental support which facilitates the physical action. To defeat your enemy, you must break their will to control you. In order to break their will, you must break their ability to control your mind. It is only when information is occulted that the appearance of truth can be disfigured, and it is in this intellectual corruption whereby human beings can be tricked into dehumanizing, and thus rationalizing the use of aggression, fraud, and coercion against other human beings and their communities. The buck stops here. Allow me to introduce the turning point in this story by reflecting some wisdom which helped lead all of us here today excerpted from a lecture by famed mystery writer and Oxford graduate, Dorothy Sayers, in her lecture, The Lost Tools of Learning. Quote, I am not here to consider the feelings of academic bodies. I am concerned only with the proper training of the mind to encounter and deal with the formidable mass of undigested problems presented to it by the modern world. 
for the tools of learning are the same in any and every subject, and the person who knows how to use them will, at any age, get the mastery of a new subject or topic in half the time and with a quarter of the effort expended by the person who has not these tools at his command. To learn six subjects without remembering how they were learnt does nothing to ease the approach to a seventh subject. To have learnt and remembered the art of learning makes the approach to every subject an open door. End quote. And that's why this is a key, because it allows you to open any and every door in this crazy theme park called Earth. So here's where this lesson pays off. We are all standing on top of the single most powerful learning methodology, which produces progress with ever-increasing degrees of certainty. But first, there's one more word to learn. Trivium. It's Latin for where three roads meet. What three roads? The input, the processing, and the output, which when used in a systematic, ordered repetition, produces satisfaction. And at this point, I'm going to have to have you elevate your own sense of perspective, thereby transmuting your natural, implicit ability to learn into an explicit form of intellectual self-defense. Step one, the input. This is how to observe. This is simply the defined knowledge resulting from answering who, what, where, and when. This input or knowledge is referred to as the general grammar of a concept or idea. General grammar is the connecting of human word concepts to objective reality. Step two, the processing. This is how to think. This is simply the understanding which results from answering the question, why? Or non-contradictory identification. This processing or thinking is referred to as logic. Step three, the output, how to communicate. This is simply the communication of knowledge and understanding, which is wisdom, which precipitates from answering the question, how? It is in taking the grammar and applying logic that creates what is referred to as rhetoric or the expression of wisdom. However, if an audience lacks intellectual self-defense and does not question the rhetoric they consume, they can soon be misled. This is why it's imperative that we the people become skilled in the art of using this three-step process, known as the trivium method of critical thinking and creative problem solving. Whether referred to as input, processing, and output, or how to observe, how to think, how to communicate, or knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, or grammar, logic, and rhetoric, it's all referring to the identical, implicit, and natural three-step process that we have used as human beings throughout history. This is why the explicit teaching of this has been removed from public education systems around the world and has been preserved within the elite universities, mystery schools, and secret societies. It is the single secret which allows them to create and maintain power in the first place by amputating our curiosity and ability to learn anything for ourselves, making us dependent on teachers in Pavlovian classrooms using Vuntian implementations of experimental psychology to condition us like Skinner's pigeons, where we can read just enough to be efficiently and effectively controlled. B.F. Skinner deprived his pigeons of food 
and then used food to corrupt the actions of the pigeons. And our non-elected rulers deprive us of information and money and then use these deficiencies to corrupt our actions and decisions to be in their favor. This is the root cause of why the status quo is in direct conflict with human needs for survival. This is why the 15,000 hours you spent in public school did not teach you what you've just learned within this hour lesson. It is the most important thing that we can be taught, and yet it is conspicuously absent from our status quo and our public education system. But that shouldn't surprise us at this point. Now, a couple of quick examples to give you the best grip possible on this invaluable set of perspectives. Example 1. If you've ever been out of your neighborhood and gotten hungry, it's likely you've had the experience of ordering from an unfamiliar restaurant. Therein, you would observe the menu, think about what you'd like, and then you would order and eat your meal. These three steps, observe, think, order, have to go in that order. You don't eat and then order, then think about what you want, and then look at the menu. That would be illogical. Grammar consists of the definitions or knowledge of what's on the menu. Logic is the process of thinking, comparing what you like to the menu, and assuring you don't eat any contradiction which brings you dissatisfaction. Rhetoric is the process of ordering and eating the meal. The same three-step process can be used to deal with any unknown situation and learn your way forward. Example 2. It seems that almost every television channel has a police crime scene investigation show, and yet, ironically, too few in this world can actually recognize, investigate, and solve any of the myriad of mega-crimes going on in this grand theft world, ongoing. In these shows, the grammar, logic, and rhetoric process is the repetitive yet implicit theme, the system or method by which the crimes are all solved, ironically enough. First, there is an awareness and definition of the crime scene, which then goes back to the lab and they go through the evidence and identify and remove contradictions whereby the connection to the criminal having been made, they can do the arrest and end the show. Grammar, logic, rhetoric in a wheel of power, which the helmsmen of this world use to steer the rest of us through life. This three-step process is the essence of how to start to instantly introduce equilibrium into the world, one free mind at a time. Lastly, if you haven't got the hang of it yet, one more example to get you started. Everyone here has purchased a product which comes with an instruction manual, and every single instruction manual with its integrity intact uses grammar, logic, and rhetoric in the three-step process called the trivium method. And that's because they wish to succinctly communicate the value of their concept or idea or product. The individual parts are always listed first, defined and usually illustrated. This is the general grammar of that product. Next, the instruction manual will show you how all these parts fit together, usually illustrating how the knowledge of the individual parts interconnect with each other. This produces your understanding and thus allowing you successful assembly. This is the logic aspect of the manual. Lastly, the instruction manual articulates how to properly use and troubleshoot the product, and this is the rhetoric. The entire manual is its rhetoric because that's where it's sharing its knowledge. Now, picture a circle divided into three equal parts. These lines of division are the three roads of the trivium, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. When used in that specific order, repetitively, with active learning engaged, 
produces increasing degrees of certainty as your skills improve. If you rotate this circle and progress it horizontally, it creates a line of repeating steps. Grammar, logic, rhetoric. Grammar, logic, rhetoric. And this is a comprehensive decision-making process. It is the process used to deceive all of us into locking our own minds early in life and being deprived of this simple, natural reflection of the human learning process, we were conditioned to accept whatever feels emotionally pleasant as truth. And that, if you'll excuse the pun, does not compute. Critical thinking cannot be taught effectively as a curriculum as it is a skill which results from the process and practice of thinking and learning. And it's driven by the grammar, logic, and rhetoric, this cycle of observation, thought, and action. The purpose of grammar is to bring initial and consistent order to a body of knowledge. It's the definitions. It's the identity. The purpose of logic is to extract understanding from that body of knowledge, seeing how it's interconnected. And rhetoric is the cogent explanation of that body of knowledge and logic. And if done effectively, this is known as teaching. Occulting information is the opposite of teaching. When one realizes that they desire to change their environment, either as recognition of a problem in need of a solution or an inspiration to create a new improvement in the world, the learning process is necessary. This is why this use of our five senses being processed by the trivium and integrated into our comprehension of physical reality using the quadrivium is embodied in the famous 534 triangle of Pythagoras and is one of the highest secrets in masonry. One of the requirements to enter Plato's academy was quote-unquote knowledge of geometry, which refers to Pythagoras of course, and the fact that if you don't know how to learn anything for yourself, by asking substantial questions and obtaining valid answers, you cannot possibly contribute to or benefit from a school which operates on the prerequisite of autonomy or self-governance, as Plato's Academy did. In ancient times, students were taught the trivium at home by their parents as a prerequisite for admission into the universities. Now you know why the secret societies, including the Brother Masons and the Illuminati, conceal this secret from the public. Because any single person who understands what I'm saying, or can learn to understand what I'm saying, now has the potential to learn to use these skills and become impervious to the control system. This learning process is a vaccination of information, inoculating you from predatory forces on this planet, specifically from those who use knowledge of how your mind works to undermine your thoughts feelings, and actions. The hope exists in the simple fact that you can hear me, that you can work to grasp my meaning, and that with a little thinking, we can all begin to reflect the change that we wish to see in the world, and thereby make this convergence of will a success, long into the future. Albert Einstein observed that problems cannot be solved at the same level of consciousness which creates them. And in my humble opinion, where learning exists, therein is proof of God. And if we define God as the process of learning, that statement would then be true. If one equated God to the concept or process of learning, one might note that in places where learning is stifled and information is censored, it is as if God has abandoned the area 
and conflict festers on as more and more information is censored. On the contrary, where people are engaged in kinetic learning coupled with constructive action and compassionate communication, it is as if God is manifesting through their actions as they learn to teach and help each other survive and thrive in this world. Indeed, there is a connection between the concepts of energy, nature, learning, freedom, love, and God. But that is the destination of your own journey of understanding, and I will not attempt to deny you that priceless experience of self-recognition. Rather, I'm here to fan the flame of your curiosity. Your true teacher is your curiosity. And I'm just here to help ensure that you reach your destination sooner rather than later. Would you like to know more? First off, we have Jan Irvin's interviews with Gino Denning, Gnostic Media Podcast episodes 49, 50, and 51. Next up, we have TriviumEducation.com, which has all the information contained in Gnostic Media Podcast episodes 49, 50, and 51, all organized on a single webpage. Next would be the Peace Revolution episodes 1, 2, 3. Oh, the entire podcast is dedicated to a comprehensive or full-spectrum education. And if you're hearing this, you might even be listening to it right now. The next resource would be the Tragedy and Hope online community, wherein there is a Trivium study group, an Introduction to Logic study group, and there is an upcoming Philosophical Corruption of Physics study group. Last but not least is our video series, What You've Been Missing, Episodes 1 and 2 focus on the noble lie and the history of corruption in public education. And I encourage you to check them out if that sounds interesting. In closing, I would observe that literacy is a form of slavery until a systematic form of critical thinking is practiced by the reader. Now you've been informed as to the awareness of the existence of this process and you've been provided with the coordinates of where to locate more information on these topics should you be interested. And this is where we now invite you to participate with thousands of people all over the world by reviewing our podcasts, screening our films, and sharpening your intellectual self-defense skills in our online community. It was my responsibility to provide you with information which you could, upon leaving, use to your advantage. And that's what makes it valuable. If this lesson taught you nothing, then you have been entertained and not informed. I encourage you to familiarize yourself with the concepts unfolded through this lesson today and do some serious thinking on your own. And therein you'll realize that you too can learn to use this superpower which is innate to all human beings. The proof exists as if it weren't possible for any one of us to change the game, then billions of dollars would not be invested into dumbing down the world population. The future is a function of your decisions. When you learn to choose wisely, every decision becomes a rewarding experience. If we are to survive as human beings and a human species, we must learn to be excellent to each other. Peace. It's been a long time, I shouldn't have left you without a podcast to step to. But hopefully now after over six hours, you'll feel that it's been worth the wait. In this episode, I wanted to provide you with more than just food for thought. I wanted to give you a whole meal for your mind. Something that would satiate even the most famished truth seeker. 
Which is why I introduced you to one of the most potent concepts you can ever wrap your head around, the trivium, taught to you by Mark Passio, Paul Verge, and Richard Grove. I even included the very first Neville Goddard lecture I even listened to called Living from the End, and oh my goodness has my life changed since I have gotten into Neville Goddard. On to the musical side of things, as synchronicity would have it, the normal outro for this podcast is about the trivium, and it features a quote by Terence McKenna, which Mark Passio quoted at the end of his presentation about the trivium, so I had to feature it directly after that section, which means there'll be a new outro for this specific podcast. I think I'm going to feature my song Fractal Eyes that I did with a friend that I made on Instagram. But this episode also featured songs from Idea, Cambada, and Shadow's Edge. I just can't say enough how much I appreciate every single one of you out there. Whether you listen to every part of every episode, or just follow me on a certain social media website, or don't even know what the fuck I'm doing and just doing something similar yourself out there. I'm constantly being encouraged by people I've never met before and even people that I've seen on a daily basis which I would have never expected this much support from so I feel so blessed to have pursued an idea which has positive implications for almost everyone that comes across it. Ultimately this podcast is just an amalgamation of all my favorite shit in one spot. All my favorite music, all my favorite lectures, all my favorite researchers' interviews, all the dope concepts that I think will truly revolutionize the world once put in place. So if you resonate with all of these things, you can already consider yourself my best friend. Because we're about to change everything together. You've been coding willed thoughts with Cody Wilcox on the Waking Life podcast, wishing you all infinite love and ascension. This is what ET 
ETA should really be emotion, thought, action. Getting a chance to experience itself.